The most dangerous game in the universe is to govern from an oracular base. We do not consider ourselves wise enough or brave enough to play that game. The measures detailed here for regulation in lesser matters are as near as we dare venture to the brink of government. For our purposes, we borrow a definition from the Bene Gesserit and we consider the various worlds as gene pools, sources of teachings and teachers, sources of the possible. Our goal is not to rule, but to tap these gene pools. But to tap these gene pools, to learn, and to free ourselves from all restraints imposed by dependency and government. The Orgy as a Tool of Statecraft, Chapter 3 of the Steersman's Guild. Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune Messiah. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we open up a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here, Derek. And Mike, get out of the way because it's a cannonball! We've got Cannonball Merlot coming out of California, 2019. It is very fruitful, a little like a fruit punch there. It's been a while since we had a wine like this. Yeah, yeah, thorough red. Delicious. Mm. I had some donuts before coming over here, and man, this is just like perfect on top of that. You're just having a pampered little morning. <laughs> it's great. All the luxuries. I love it. Ah, well, Mike, let's, uh, oh, do you have oh, any? Speaking of luxuries, Derek. Ah, that's, I knew, I had a feeling I was going to I was like, wait, before I go on to this quote, this, this feels like the kind of day oh, yeah. where there's something to talk about. We've got a new patron. Yes. New member of our CH. ES. Ooh. Ooh. Wait, is that, that's familiar. Sort of like TS? Yes. Related. Ah. <laughs> I love that. What a great motif. So that, that, is, that is all I was conflating that with? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. That is not as familiar as, but that's awesome. <laughs> it's pretty how awesome. Are, how are they related? Uh, I, th- I think siblings. Yeah, siblings. Awesome. So actually, this is the, uh, TS told us that uh, he added some family with an inn over at NASA JPL that could give us a tour. Oh, yeah, because we touched on the, like, the Jack Parsons backstory for JPL. Exactly. Yeah. This is her. This is, yes. Oh, oh my God. This is a little daisy chain. I then. know. Oh, my God. Oh, Mike, we can oh. travel soon, too. I know. We're so close. And you just got wheels. It's all coming together. It's going to have to happen. Oh, man. So coming in. At a spice wine enthusiast. Ooh, awesome. Living in the lap of luxury in our little CH, you're going to have to get like a high quality Yali, obviously. I mean, we're, we're all out, but like. What do you I, mean? I, Bruno moved into the last one. Oh, okay, and I'm, okay. not, I'm not evicting no, Bruno. No, no. I'm not going to happen. <laughs> uh, but you know what? We have little shacks out in the desert. Everyone can get, we can get comfortable. I think you're going to have to go to the shack first. We're, get, we're, going, we're getting big. We're going to move food big, <laughs> but that is so fantastic. Well, today's episode will be for you, and it's a fun one. All right. Is there anything else we want to address here? I don't think so. All right. Put those Stilgar folders away then. (laughs) So Business is done. We have quite the chapter header. You know how in this book we've moved away from uh, Irulan references? Yeah. Now we, you know, we had some Talaxlu ones. This is a Steersman one. That's a little weird. Even more importantly, it's a Steersman one commenting on the guild's sort of position of governance. Which is weird. Yeah, well, we haven't gotten firsthand, uh, like, how they feel about anything, right? Mm-hmm. Not really any guild information outside of just meeting Edric and how Guy's Helen feels about them. Right, right. Which is, they suck. Uh, um, what what did you get out of this? How did you infer this sort of description that gets thrown at you? I mean, I think in part, this is why 
the Basin Guild didn't take the melange for themselves, knowing mm-hmm. that like uh, they would have sort of too mu- be in a position of too much power. Right. It was too central to what they saw coming exactly. around the corner of like, this is where the world's going to go. And they believe it's too dangerous probably to have that much power and use it from an oracular base to be like, oh, yes or no, based off of. Yeah, I don't even think the oracular base needs to be factored into any of this. No, nope, because like this chapter sort of talks about like uh, governing and like what it, you know, what if everyone had this, then what would happen? Well, well uh, no, okay. I, I kind of see what you're saying. It, that is purely within, like, the framing of Paul, Moadib, sure. right? And they're, like, foiling off of each other sure, with Edric. Sure, sure. But I think this is more like, because Paul also just has taken the power and is holding on to it. Yeah. Even, even, if you, but even if you get rid of the oracular base, mm-hmm. I think this still would apply to him in the same manner. Uh, the guild just ultimately never wanted to hold on to that third rail of, like, it will shock you. It's the worst. We'd stay away from it. Sure. Uh, but I'd like to... The Bene Gesserit also have this same view. Like, we went through this in Dune uh, pretty thoroughly, that they wanted to be one degree away from power at all right, times, right, right. right? Yeah, but, like, at the same time, like, I think they want to rule more than the Spacing Guild does. Uh, they have different goals, definitely. Like, they mm. want to exert an influence. The Spacing Guild, I mean, seemingly just wants to survive. Yeah, we they, just want to be on top, they, like, around there. They're like this weird libertarian group that's just like, <laughs> we just want to be left alone, and we won't bother you, and that's how everything <laughs> should be. Uh, but it, it's very weird. Where This thing also is, um, I feel like it undercuts itself when you get to the last line of, our goal is not to rule, but to tap these gene pools, to learn, and to free ourselves from all restraints imposed by dependency and government. And, like, maybe you see, obviously, dependency is right. what I'm queuing in on for the spice. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, it's almost like an oxymoron for them. Yeah, or or is it just, like, these are ideals that we'll never meet, but this is always what we're striving for. Oh, like that's interesting. You know, kind of like, as people, don't we strive for a perfect world? Never going to get it. Sure. Never going to happen, because my perfect world isn't your perfect world. Mm. That will ultimately come to a head. But it does seem like, yeah, maybe they're like, we're never going to get away from this melange, and we're never going to get away from government. Sure. We're going to keep trying Mm -hmm. to, um, trying to free ourselves from these, but like, yeah, all restraints imposed. Never going to happen. Uh, the other weird bit is that, that how they look at the worlds as gene pools, I thought was strange. It's very Benny Gesserit. Very, yeah. Like, that I would not have expected from the guild. But it kind of does make sense, because like, they don't have a world. I guess. Right? Like, if we assume maybe something out in the two piles, sure. But, like, as far as, like, uh, regenerating their population as steersmen grow old and die, mm-hmm. where else could that come from without them looking for the best and brightest through all the Imperium? I don't know. And it's sort of uh, reminiscent of the Sadakar in that, where the Sadakar were taking levies from everybody. Right, right. Though this seems like, like, didn't really need the levies. No. And granted, I guess ultimately those weren't really the Sadakar, were they? No. No. That doesn't exactly work. I have to, I, I retreat from that one. Okay. There's, a, there's a bad metaphor. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to pull out of that quote? Um, it's origin. So chapter three of the Steersman's Guild. What was one and two? What was one and two? Who wrote it, I wonder? Yeah, I would hope a steersman. An orgy as a tool of statecraft. Okay. So are they, yeah. is that like talking about like that, like mental blending of like minds kind of thing? Like, I, because I, I'm, I just think I, how. Okay. So, yeah, we would have to sort of decide like that. I think Tao too, obviously, yeah. I'm right on the same page with you. And it, it signifies to me that this was written well after 
the events of like Paul's Imperium. Okay. Because the Fremen have to come on the scene. Before right. the Fremen are on the scene, no one knows anything about them. Sure. Uh, even we're going to come to find in that 12-year period, Mike, by year two, some people didn't know the Fremen existed. Oh, oh God. It was new. That news has to make its way up to the edge <laughs> of the universe. No. Uh, so assuming, let's say like it is afterwards, maybe they are referring to that orgy is part of like the Kizarat and is like a known religion, oh, you know, like wouldn't the, like a religious right kind of thing. I think thing? the Fremen might've exported that. We don't really ever get details maybe. on that. Uh, cause like, what is the Fremen religion now? This Paul religion that uh, Corbus is so into. Sure. I don't really know. I can't really tell you. Like he went out to do that sermon. We didn't know any words of what he said out there. That's kind of sad actually. Yeah. You just sort of like let it happen. Uh, and it's, it's almost just because like Paul has no interest whatsoever in it. And in a way, Frank doesn't. He's just like, <laughs> That's fair. just assume it's bullshit. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it is weird that the, the orgy as a tool of statecraft, I, I'm thinking it draws from the Fremen and the Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then that but, the guild is commenting on it. Yeah. There's just, there's no way to really understand like when it was written though, which mm. is like the worst part. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I love I love this idea. This is the, definitely the deepest glimpse into the motivations of the guild we've gotten so far. Sure, yeah. To see them actually claim like, no, we do know where power is, and we are intentionally like circumnavigating it. Mm -hmm. Like we don't want to be there, but we are a player in this world, and that's why we do this role where we are the middlemen in every transaction. Mm -hmm. So good. But let's leave that behind. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Oh, because Mike, our favorite steersman, is already here. Just taking a look around the room. Around the room. And he's going to start this off very ominously. <laughs> and just straight up ask Paul, like, oh, is that where your dad died? <laughs> it's like, holy shit, Edric. Yeah, a little light. It's like on the map there. And they, they call it a beam pointer. Uh, curiously, <laughs> not using the word laser. Right? Well, because uh, they don't even use the word laser within uh, like las guns or anything. Well, that is the Laz part of yeah, that. Yeah, I know. Game. Yeah. Do you think it would just be sort of like a taboo thing to say? Well, that's what I'm thinking. Like, don't you don't yell fire in a theater? It's either that, or I don't know if Frank would colloquially know it as that. Like, I don't know when the term laser pointer comes into, like, the lexicon. Like, when we start using that kind of a phrase, if they never would have referred to it as that. Like, beam of beam does make sense to me, too, right? I'm. I could. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I. I think laser is just a cooler word, and that's <laughs> why it trumped beam as like uh, we sort of uh, brought these into our language. Sure, uh, and the culture grew, but nonetheless, we just have a little beam pointer. And Paul, he's like not really involved in this a little bit. He very blandly just like, no, that's not where he died. That's where the tomb is. Yada yada. And Edric's like, oh, yes. And he recalls his tale. And he, he still mixes up facts that Paul is going to sort out. Right. And, I, like, so Aaliyah killed the Baron, not Leto. It was at this point. And Paul is just sort of wondering why Edric is opening these wounds like, now. Why here? To which, yeah, do you have an answer? No, I mean, I think Edric's trying to uh, put him off guard. Well, he's. I think he's doing what the conspiracy wanted. Mm. We're, we're trying to push Paul... To reflect on his past. Oh, and, yeah. And specifically to drive him back to the morals of his father. Because he's the grandfather. And it's like, no, we need the Duke to be sitting here for this plot to really sure. play out. Like, Paul needs to feel guilty for what he's done. Mm -hmm. This might be a way to get it started. Uh, and I wonder if, 
like by saying Aaliyah killed the Baron, it's like we're also addressing that like there's some kin slaying going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the granddaughter killed her grandfather. We just sort of let that one slide past. Uh, we get to my excerpt from last week that Edric is kind of nervous here, and Sightail is actually the hulking aide that's pushing him around. He's taken on a new form, uh, which is pretty gnarly of what Sightail been up to. Yeah. He's already he's been he got with, a part-time job. Yeah, he was out Farouk. We took like that girl somewhere in the desert, and now we're back here like What's going on? What is going on? How do you just like run in and out? Who chooses your outfits? How do you keep this organized? <laughs> oh, what do you think he did with the girl? I don't know. Wait. I honestly have no idea. She's definitely a part of this. Place. I, do, I don't know how still though. I know. It's so weird. And Well, she's not here. And uh, Paul sees looking at this aide. He's like, there's something weird about him. Do you think Paul already knows it's a face dancer? No. Why, why not? He would have mentioned that. He does. There's he, so much internal monologue in this. Yeah. If the line at the end though is a little too blatant for me. Yeah, I know about the genetic thing. So like, but yeah, he's Frank. Just like in case you forgot that side tale. He doesn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he doesn't come out and say it, which is weird. Certainly, he would know about face dancers. Because they're watching a face dancer performance. Yeah, and you're just you're the emperor. Yeah. Like of all the groups, the Ixians and the Talaxlu, I imagine you get a briefing on to be like, this is what we know they're up to. I think uh I don't know, I think Sightail's just, you know, he's you know, he's the best of the best. He yeah, he's an exception. Yeah. They're all exceptions in this book. Uh I like this though, in that uh Edric he kind of recounts the face dance troop that you just mentioned. Yeah. That he, they'd come through uh presumably like last night or two nights before. Mm-hmm. Uh and they did a, a whole show for them, probably a folk story of how Moadib got his name. Oh, I don't knows? know. Uh and then they put on like Cheney's face on everybody. They put Stilgar's face, which made Stilgar. He Stilgar really probably did not like it. that. The Chris knife might have come out a little bit. Uh everybody else is kind of laughing around him though. And then they all put on Paul's face as well. And I'm like, I wonder where the line is. And it's like, <laughs> silence. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, nobody laughing at that one. I'm just, that seems very, uh, just terrifying that you yeah. would let them emulate the emperor in yeah, like, his yeah, house. Yeah. Like, cross the line. Uh, and, but the, some of these Fremen were willing to accept it because they've changed. You it's know, weird. that would have never happened in Siege Tabar, Mike. are so strange. In what way? It's just not what I... I'm used to. It's not what I grew up with, Derek. <laughs> I just, I just met all <laughs> ten of them. Change happening everywhere. <laughs> well, we're gonna get to a great warning, Mike, and that is a Paul asking of, isn't there a warning against accepting gifts from the guild? Ah. yes, Paul. Yes, there is. <laughs> is that and, is that a uh, callback to Trojan Horse? Oh, oh, what do you mean? It's like beware, Greeks sparing gifts. Is, is that where that's from? Isn't that what it's from? That, only... ma- that makes sense. I, I don't know. I honestly don't. But became more popular during the 90s. Yeah. Interesting. Just from, based off how much uh, we pull from Greek mythology and sort of like mythos. Yeah. Sort of no. incorporating into our world. It's like, the, yeah. That totally makes sense why that's there. Oh, I, so if we're going to use that, fr- I did not realize that phrase had that kind of bearing to it. Ooh. If that became in the 90s, though, this is 1969. Yeah. So the 90s it doesn't even really matter. Right, right, right. That's very interesting. He's he's kind of ahead of his time there. Yeah. All right. Um, I wonder then if we have to consider, is hate a Trojan horse? Maybe. I mean, I guess we already think there's something. It's like orders are in him, right? right? That are like tucked in there. That's deceiving. 
Okay. Okay. I like it. I, I got to put this in a whole new paradigm sure, sure, now. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize Troy was going to roll into here. Like, <laughs> who's Helen? Where are we going? Like, you Greek bastards. You make your way in everywhere. All right. Let me go back to this performance, though, Mike. Because it wasn't a play of the name Moadib. They were all coming out costumed in the guise of the Dune Tarot. Oh, yeah. just what we did last time. Yeah, we, yeah, perfectly timed, right? That means somebody came out with a little spindle and stick, looking like a little hobo, like walking around, the wanderer, <laughs> doing his thing. Uh, How did they do Shai Halud? Oh, like, you know, uh, Chinese New Year? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody, like, got their stick, oh, and the big so big cool worm comes out, and they, they're they holding sheets to make the sand sure. kind of go. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, you can do this. Be a great this. performance. I mean, if you're doing it from the Emperor, it better be fucking fantastic. It, you, wait, what's that, like, um... I'm thinking like Kabuki theater, like a Kabuki uh, Dune show would just be fantastic. Sure, sure, sure. I would, yeah. Like masks spinning and stuff like that because of the facial expressions. That would be really dope, actually. The genies. Uh, now I just want to do the folklore story no, of Kabuki. Not, no, All off track. No. Um, but yeah, so they are coming out in the Dune Tarot, which I think is really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it de- de- um devolves down into like they play all the rulers and this and that and they're all like faces from coins stiff and formal but curiously fluid and then the jokes came after that and that's when we see our characters sort of represented uh and then paul is gonna pull us back out of this so like we get to reflect on that for a second and now paul needs to confront edric with a conspiracy Mm -hmm. i'm just like gonna be very blunt with it right uh but edric is gonna hold his own kind of yeah. He really almost makes it through the whole chapter. <laughs> he does way better than there, I would have ever given him credit for. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, like they're what the I think what it comes down to is the context of the topic they're talking about. It's like uh, I think Paulvin mentions that like they are two sophisticated individuals like talking at you know a table. Like no one else can comprehend what they're really like talking about. Mm-hmm. And, like, some of the things he says isn't directed at Paul, but, like, he still has, like, these one-on-one banters, like, talking about, like, you know, the uh, oracular nature of things or prescience. Well, he's able to have, like, the two conversations at once. Yeah. Like, it's able to keep conversing with Paul while addressing other things in the room and other things he wants to bring up. I don't think you've been giving Edric enough credit this book. I think he, you know, he does his job. Eh, Again, almost. He still fucks it up at the end. He's still exhausted. And has to just go to sleep before he even leaves the room. Like, if he could just hold the demeanor up he's, until he leaves. He's not a people person. It's very exhausting. He, you he, can't he, hold that against him. <laughs> so he's take a little nap afterwards. I feel like you're making up rules as we go to defend him. But let's uh, let's see how Edric bears here. Sure. Because, like I said, beware gifts of the guild. Edric is just going to say, our gifts have the kindest intent. <laughs> And Paul's like, really? I spoke with this Gola. He believes he was destined to destroy us. Destroy you, sire? (laughs) All planned attention. (laughs) Yeah, and then he slips in this great line. Can one destroy a god? Now at this, Stilgar comes in. And it's just like... (laughs) Stilgar walks in at the worst moments. (laughs) Every time. I feel bad for the guards who are like... Because, like, last time it was already, like, the person was too close. And they yeah. were like, and all the guards had to move in. And now he comes in there talking about killing Paul. And he's like, I swear, sir, it wasn't this tense, like, ten seconds ago. Um, cause, and these guards are also too far away. He motions them all closer. Paul waves back. So we just have people throwing hand signals. Yeah. But they're, they're super discreet, I sure, imagine, sure, sure. right? Like, just a pinky nudge or something. 
Uh, I imagine the guards, like one guy might have stepped forward and like he didn't see it, uh, take him yeah. back. Uh, and they have to stand down. And at this, Stilgar is like, all right, I want to move this up. But Edric, uh, or rather, I'm sorry, Paul has Edric moved. So Sightail will be behind him now because yeah. he's feeling the threat mainly from Sightail. I love that we have to move the ambassador too. We're <laughs> going to move it himself. No, yeah, he's so dependent. Uh, you think Stilgar just rolls him like a keg? Well, that's what I love. Stilgar is the ultimately one that moves the yeah. tank. I think we need to inco- uh, note the importance of that. He hates this creature. Yeah. He defi- like this is defiling his planet, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has to go up and touch that tank and put his hands Ooh. on it. Like it's. And it, they corrupt, like, the ground they walk on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember the exact phrasing that we had from Corba saying that last time. Sure. So for him to touch it, like, his hands are going to smell like melange. He's got to be close to it and see it. I wish he could look in Stilgar's eyes a little bit and see how he feels. Uh, but he'll move the tank, uh, and a task he does not enjoy. And now Paul and Edric continue their conversation with Sightail conveniently out of the scene, and we will kind of forget about him as this goes on because this gets very heated. And we're going to talk about Paul's godhood. And Edric, he points a glance at Stilgar. With this, I really think he's talking to Stilgar the creature. Like, kind of noting that that's not, you know, the Fremen naive of old. Mm-hmm. This is a supplicant in much the way everybody else in Paul's life is. Sure, yeah. And maybe there's, like, a little chance, like, he sees possibly the same way Irulan had that thought about Stilgar. I'm getting so many Gurney vibes right now from Stilgar. The way, like, Gurney would act. Okay, of, like, uh, the lad and the, uh, I want to say the formalities of, like, meeting the Emperor. Right, right, right. All right. And then, like, acting on his behalf, like, do you want me to kill this guy? Lots of that. Lots of, I'm ready to kill. Even, oh, Paul never lets people kill for him. He didn't let Gurney do it. Yeah. He's not going to let Stilgar do it today. He does it himself. Now, with Edric sort of turning this conversation back and forth, and we're talking about these believers, Paul just is like going to cut through the bullshit, right? And just be like, I want to know what you believe then, Edric. Speak Ooh. speak your mind. And I think that's always going to put Edric in his weakest footing. It's like getting him to answer. He can, sure. If he can respond back with a question or like a whataboutism, that's where he'll survive. This is the moment where he kind of falters because he tells him like he believes that two observers, Paul sees, uh, seems to be making a god of himself. Now he does kind of couch that of like not me, but like I see people. Right, right, right. People are saying they think that maybe I heard through the grapevine. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and Paul kind of gets caught on that, and I, I love that. So this, just the phrase of you're making a god of yourself trips mm-hmm. him it, like it's got to be um the terrible purpose kind of chiming in it's something uh the unknown it makes him go into mentat mode uh and maybe that's even just to get on um sort of uh edric's level sure because edric is going to be pretty you know, almost mentat like in his studies like sure. to how you get to the guildsman uh but Paul, he also tells us that he's seen some awful futures down lines that steersmen won't normally look. Futures that validate his God decision. Ooh. So that's going to be a plot device by Frank mm-hmm. of just saying Paul can look in and see something awful. And we just, we got to take Paul's word for it. We don't get any inkling of like what it is or anything like that. But this is going to be an ongoing motif. Well, it's it's like, it's just, I feel like it's used conveniently here. Sure. To just say, like, 
no, I'm doing this because of I've seen worse things, but I'm not going to trouble you with how bad they were. <laughs> uh, but just the fact that Paul doesn't share with the reader, I think it's sort of like a cop out. That is kind of a cop out. It just shows that uh, you're like, uh, I mean, it's not important to the story either. You don't got, to, you know, whatever. You could but think of a so, million reasons. It's still interesting, though. Definitely is. And it comes up twice in this chapter. So, Paul, it's at least tell us, like, there are way worse futures than what I chose, even with the jihad having done everything mm-hmm. it's did. Uh, and so that just, Edric is going to be uh, blind to those. He'll never know that those possibilities exist. Sure. Which is interesting to give you like a limitation of the guild's planning as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like what all the steersmen are plotting, do they just not have as much information as Paul does? I think the answer is obvious. Obviously, yeah. yeah. And then that's why they can't make the decisions Paul does. So the Mentat summation that we're going to head into is a very funny scene. Everything goes click, 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 like in the text of him telling sure. him that we're going through. Uh, so Paul's just like, huh, the Tlaxlu at work here. <laughs> Side tale. Uh, the Jihad's recent Sembu victory is going to be weighing in on them. Ooh. And the Bene Gesserit at work here. Uh, and then he goes over thousands of information bits and probably about sure. three seconds of silence there. But I like that. So he's, he's clued in on the Bene Gesserit. So he's like, yeah, you got guys Helen in your jail cell. No, no, even more so. Yeah. He's identified all three organizations in the conspiracy. In the conspiracy. Yep. So like Paul's starting to learn as much as we know. He just doesn't know who's attached to who and just like, okay, who's moving the pieces? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. he knows who's involved. Yeah. And I do like, this is almost like scattershot chapter for him. Like yeah. he just needs anything. Sure. Whatever Edric is willing to slip up. Like it doesn't matter. I just need something to put in this like, math uh, equation. Like, like he's been saying, I need more data. More data. Him and uh, H both do. So Paul now, he basically attacks Edric's religion. And this is to take him mentally off balance. Sure. Uh, again, to kind of put him in a situation where maybe he'll slip. Uh, and I, Paul just asked, does a steersman question the guidelines of prescience? Ooh. And it's like that for, it's sort of like, remember how Irulan's whole world was about uh, structure and order? Yeah. And when you took that away from her, you're like, oh, you don't know what you just did to her mind. Right, <laughs> you right, broke right. it. This is like going to fuck with Edric's mind of like, yeah, Edric always follows the guidelines of prescience. You will never vary into the unknown or take a chance, right? Uh, and so this disturbs the steersman, but he covered well coming up with what sounded like a long aphorism. He says, No man of intelligence questions the fact of prescience. Sire, oracular vision has been known to men since most ancient times. It has a way of entangling us uh, when we least suspect. Luckily, there are other forces in our universe. Oh, wow. this is a good parry of like, clearly the entangling us seems like uh, attacking Paul. Sure. Right. That's what's happened to Paul. Like, and you know that he's got to be aware that Paul has truth sense. Guys, Helen Mahayim has probably let him know. That, like, oh, yeah, yeah. You can't lie to this motherfucker. We you ruin everything if you do. Uh, that even came up when Irulan went over his CV in the meeting. Right. We did the conspiracy meeting. She yeah, yeah. went through that long list. Oh, that's why Saitel goes by his actual name. Uh, what do you mean? If he was ever questioned, like, who is this? Like, or, like, what's his name? If he answers Sidetel, he's not lying. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because he, I mean, he's covered by uh, the prescience shield, so to speak, by Edric. Yeah. But, like, they're still subject to truth sense. 
Yeah, yeah, but I mean, oh, I wonder if that would even be better, though, to, like, to lie to him but not have him be able to press it and see it. Oh. I wonder if that would just fuck Paul up more. I don't know. We're just stirring the pot a little bit. But no, that's a decent point, though, to be like, just so he can be that. It's sort of like he's the James Bond of face dancers. (laughs) We've we've given up trying to disguise you. It's really not worth it. Why don't you just tell them who you are and we'll play it by ear? (laughs) Your full name every time. Every time. Maybe they'll know you. Maybe they won't believe you because you're so bold. (laughs) Some some game is being played here. Now, with uh, Edric's quote here, this ends of, uh, luckily, there are other forces in our universe. What do you think we're pulling at there? I don't even know. Because this is a steersman saying, like, there's other things beyond prescience then. Are we going into, like, uh, guild religion here? Like, what's that even mean? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, Or if it's... Yeah, I really don't know what to pull from that. I think, or it must just be an attack again, a, a swipe, a swipe at Paul. Right, right, right. And maybe that's alluding to the um, how the Dune Tarot is bringing all that muddy water up, where everyone is like, uh, or being an oracle in this time. Sure, of year, you know, uh, it's hot in the Imperium right now. It's the latest trend. <laughs> Uh, but Edric, he's gonna. He tells Paul that there was only pre- if there was only prescience, it would only observe its own degenerative movement. If that was the only force in the universe, it would just basically, like, because of the law of conservation of energy, it would just destroy itself of, like, using its energy to absorb its own energy. Mm -hmm. It's an unsustainable system. Like, something has to be expended there. Uh, But Paul, he's going to make a curious statement now. uh, And this one I think I might need your help for. Sure. Is he referring to the people as, like, something purely other to himself and Edric? Because he says, there's always the human situation. And this is Paul agreeing with Edric. And Edric says, oh, a precarious thing at best, without confusing it by hallucinations. And it's like, all right, let alone, what do we mean by the human situation? I don't know. Just like normal people lives? Just like the human, like literally, like everything happening outside these walls? I don't even know. I, I think it's kind of referring to us as like sort of like uh, we're a spot of mold on the universe, Mike. Like that's the black mold problem. That's the human. <laughs> or the, that's our black mold situation. That's the human situation. Sure, sure. Right? They're just everywhere, uh, and it's a precarious thing. Like this mold, whatever you, you could easily die, can keep growing, whatever. Uh, and you don't want to confuse it with hallucinations, which then it gets really weird. And is that like is Paul then the hallucination there? Is it his religion? I, I honestly, this exchange is just baffles me. Because, like, I, we're just sort of protecting our best guess, yeah. I think, at this point. Well, we can kind of build it out a little bit. Because Paul comes back with, are my visions no more than hallucinations? So I feel like it's partly saying, like, this uh, religion that Paul's propped up is based off of what, he, you know, the oracle he's been, the stories he's told. Like, he is the prophet for it, mm-hmm. right? And that everything in the religion is clearly a lie. Like, you and I both know it because we live through its creation. Sure. And everything Paul did was not what got recorded in that religion. So we're telling all these people this big lie, and they just all buy into it. So they're having, like, a mass hallucinization. Okay. Like, a mass hysteria. Um, So that being that, like, that sort of changes the... uh, Do you think that they're talking about, like, muddying the water in a way? That sort of, like, changes... uh, what prescience can actually do or tell you? No, no. Uh, I don't think we're worrying about like 
his actual foretelling, just like what these people are buying into. Okay. Um, and then Paul like is going to come back of like, are my visions no more hallucinations? Now we're kind of turning into like, are you saying I don't even have power? I'm not actually a god. Like I'm not actually doing this. Mm-hmm. I'm just babbling essentially, right? Uh, almost like madness. And with this, that's like that's too far for Stilgar. Oh yeah, so he's going to move towards Paul now, and he's uh precipitating because uh, Paul has a sense of violence in the air, and it's like Stilgar hits that first. Yeah. He moves, and then Paul is like, ooh, whoa, what's going on here? There is more tension in this room than I imagined. And he looks at his own guards of, like, would it be them? They're the, they're literally the only ones who could do it. Sure. And, like, right in there, I think that tells you a lot of what, it, like, Paul's home life is like. He already is not trusting these Fremen in the room. These gotta be Fadaiken. Yeah. Like, they're the most loyal People ones. he trained himself. And he's already like, I can't trust any of these people right here icing them out it's again doing what the conspiracy wants he's yeah he's just attacking himself well uh, yeah attacking i was gonna say isolating what's sort of like what i was focusing on sure yeah he's striking out at his own people his own like uh creations Mm -hmm. so paul is now going to hone in on one word in particular and that's that they said he conspires to be a god conspire Edric does not appreciate that word coming up. And like, oh, maybe I said one word wrong. Let's change that one and not mention that again. Uh, And as he responds, he sizes up Stilgar. And it's sort of a judge for how far he can go with his words. Sure. Uh, And after Paul speaks, Edric, it says, Edric arched his neck, stared sideways at Stilgar with a look of apprehension. And that's the sort of like, (laughs) what I'm about to say, I need to know if his knife arm moves a little bit. Yeah, yeah. People always expect the worst of the rich and powerful, sire. Another look at Stilgar. Okay, okay, we're good, we're good. And he carries on. Uh, Paul, though, he can see the anger welling up in Stilgar. Like, it's a tremor passed across Stilgar's face. He notes, uh, Paul notes the dryness in his own mouth. And he realizes, like, oh, it's even the air in this room. Everything is wrong right now. Mm-hmm. This tension is building. Stilgar's angry. It's this dryness hits his mouth. He can, like, uh, it's that too many people are breathing it. The melange spell, uh, smell from Edric's tank that's just filtering through all the air. It's all, like, just dank and musky. You would have thought he would appreciate this from, like, a kind of a Fremen Sietch sort of way. Remember the stank of the CH? Sure, yeah. It was all the pride of back in the day. But now it's just like, ugh, it's you too know, much. Girl, people breathing air. I'm an emperor. Like, what's happened, Paul? You're slipping. That's all I want to say. Yeah, a lot, actually. A lot. I mean, granted, he was born on a water planet. Pretty water fat. Sure. Maybe he's just reverting back to his own ways. Uh, Paul brings up the uh, Kizarat. So that's that religious organization he's established. And he's like, have they been helping me conspire to be a god? Are you going to level an accusation against the Kizarat? Because I'm pretty sure that brings up a few laws, uh, I bet, you can be charged for. Yeah. Some serious libel and slander. And the exchange is here for, uh, I think, to tell us more about how Paul actually controls this universe. Because mm-hmm. up till now, I, I don't know what you imagine the Kizarat being, but it definitely was only in our imaginations, right? Yeah. We knew Corbo was up there in charge of it, but we didn't know like what the structure was or what they were doing. But it seems like they are one of the four, the vanguard forces of the jihad. I right? feel like they're the uh, the missionary Sardaukar. 
I feel like they're missionary bureaucrats. You think so? Yeah. I mean, it really makes the Sadakar too. I see of like being yeah. the armed force, but I just mean like, cause the Sadakar don't stick around to do the uh, paperwork. True. These guys do. That's kind of dangerous. Yeah. Oh God. Sadakar with a oh, big old buff clipboard. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think there's something here. And I, I really like the idea that they're on each world. They establish themselves. They start converting those people. Like, you make this um, self-sustaining machine. And that somehow Paul is able to keep it all homogenous and in line. Like, this religion isn't fracturing and it's spanning the entire universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that Paul sort of brings that up of like, how could I possibly do this if it was a lie? And I just want to kind of know like, wait, no, how are you possibly doing this? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the, that's where I need an answer. Um, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. So Edric, he, he goes like, ah, I, I don't accuse, uh, but I, he asserts uh, that Paul is promoting a lie, a falsehood, right? That, mm-hmm. That's all it is. It's like a big misunderstanding and that others are following you out of uh, self-interest. Yeah. And that all brings Stilgar to the edge. Uh, we're pushing every Puts button his he hand has. to the Chris knife beneath his robe. Stilgar wants to brawl. And like, what do you think he would even do? He's going to throw it through the glass? You bet he could. You got to. I bet he could. Like, <laughs> it would just be interesting to see how this feels out of him dragging this fish man out. And like, <laughs> filet of Edric. Uh, but uh, Paul responds back to him of, wouldn't the structure of such a fraud begin to show holes, significant disagreements, schisms, doubts, confessions of guilt? Surely fraud could not surpass all these. I love that. Yeah. Like, Confessions of guilt, too. I'm just being like, imagine within all these people involved, eventually somebody's got to have a guilty conscience. Yeah. Like, I got to come clean. And they're like, I've, it's all a fraud, a disagreement. No, they're like all aboard for it, though. They're all in line. Mm-hmm. And I mean, do you know how he keeps them in line? How's that? I know. That's what you like speculate. I'm only going to guess, too. Um. Oh, I don't know. The thing, it seems like prescience would be the answer for me. I mean, just like proof of his like. Well, I mean, I think you would always know before, like, some rabble rouser steps up and sure. he just gets a letter in the mail. And then, yeah, that basically is like, oh, I believe again. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that would reinforce your belief so thoroughly. Sure. I mean, like, that's how he got the seat in the first place. Exactly. That's what because still guarding to what he is. Because in a way, he, he is a messiah. Mm-hmm. Can't, can't take that from him. And an oracle, like a literal oracle. No magic, no nothing, no games. Mm-hmm. This is weird. We don't know how it works. Now, Edric is going to come back of like, now let's undo all this. We were speculating a little bit, but Edric just says, well, what religion and self-interest cannot hide, governments can. Ooh, this is Frank. (laughs) Yeah. And well, this is where we get back to like the missionary bureaucrats of like, it's Edric is kind of uh, asserting that, no, it's that you imbued the church. Like that's the one difference between your emperor empire and Shaddam's, right? You have this church involved, mm-hmm. and that is sort of the salve that really brings it all together to right. let this like solidify into one form. And like they all help each other. The lies from this one cover up the lies from this one, the falsehoods, the falsehoods. Like mm-hmm. they're just uh, doing cover work for each other. And it, I think it's a really interesting comment. And like clearly alluding that uh, Frank doesn't believe in theocracies a little bit. Probably not. Or at least judges them the most. Uh, it seems like the least stable. And uh, would bring me back to that quote of, uh, what was it, the uh, how a 
government would have to strive for orthodoxy to survive. Mm-hmm. And it has basically just has to stop all change from happening in sure. order to sustain itself. Like that's what Paul was kind of built in a way. Now, Paul's going to ask Edric, I'm like, oh, are you testing the limits of my tolerance? Are we just seeing how far the emperor is willing to go today? Because still guard. He's like, so let's get a little closer. So ready. And Edric, my God, Edric, he comes back. Do my arguments lack all merit? Edric's like, call me a liar. Go ahead. So does like Edric just sit on the bottom of his tank? Because his balls are so huge. They've got to be weighing him down. Somewhere down there. It, it's his day. It's Edric's day. <laughs> Yeah, I and I, I wish we got to see if if Sightail uh, ever smiles from the back too. I, I wonder I, what he's been doing I this whole really time. I really want to know, and because uh, Edric is now between them. Yep, still got to put um, between them. Ah, oh, so yeah. Sightail's listening to all of this too, hearing yeah, Paul's. He's, he's definitely present. Yeah, hearing Paul's responses, getting the feel for everything. He collecting information, collecting information. Remember, he is just as devious as the Reverend Mother. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and like Paul's main concern here is like, is Edric trying to martyr himself? Is he just serving is, himself? Is he trying up to on get himself platter? killed? Yeah. In a way, I mean, do you think that he was? I don't think he was. I think he was maybe projecting that idea, though. In what way? Well, like it, if you kill a guild steersman, like the, where do you guys go from there? Because you do need the steersman just as much as they need. The even, even, I think even more importantly, the ambassador. Yeah. The guild ambassador, right? It's like you're never going to be able to do any sort of like public uh, negotiations again. Uh, I mean, again, Paul owns, he's got the weight over them. You can't say no to Paul. True. Unless you're like, I don't think. It the, just comes down to the spice. That's the one thing. Yeah, but yeah. The, it's it was enough. Now, we said the ultimatum wouldn't work this time to Irulan before sure pulling it back but like i think if you put if the guild were to ever push paul that cudgel comes back out and it's just like oh it's go it's game time like destroy the spice. sure tomorrow it's all gone so i i don't know i i want to say like maybe he was open to the ploy or maybe Sightail pushed him into this position where he might be killed. Right. Right? Like, maybe this was the other plotters trying to, like, get Edric right into the final square. How, Edric's not going to know how it's going to go down. He can't see what Moody is going to do. <laughs> I, would, I would hope that it would be there. Hey, you know what they will see, though? He'll see a dark hand coming with a <laughs> knife and presence, but he won't be able to put flesh on that form. Oh, so good. But yeah, we we don't know. We just get this feeling. And I think it's great that Paul is the one who's having this double thought of like, hmm, I don't even think I can kill you without playing <laughs> into that. Again, Paul can't do anything right. without. And, but he can't look forward or past that either because of that same thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's, so a, lot, like, there's a lot going on right now. Any sort of uh, infallibility that the prescience has, you know, inspired among the Fremen. It's like, oh, Moody will know. He'll be able to tell everything. He is in a place where he can't do that right now. Yeah. And so he is being a little bit more cautious. Yeah. Now he's just being smart. Yeah. He's got to use that <laughs> that mentat mind to get him through this. Uh, I think he's relied on the prescience a little bit too much. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that is definitely the whole lesson. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. You're not like glossing over that one. Frank wanted to make sure everything has a price, right? Sure. From the spice to the precedence, like, and it costs a lot. So Paul offers that uh, Edric used language like a weapon, and he, he is just here to test Paul's armor. 
Edric counters that religion is used as a weapon by Paul's government. Mm. He's like, all right, so we're both armed. <laughs> armed <laughs> to the fucking teeth. Uh, Paul feels like the weight of this exchange, and this is when he realized, like, shit. This was all aimed at Stilgar. Maybe the other Fremen? Right. Maybe even that weird aide standing even that behind. that weird-ass sight tail, who knows? Um, and Paul is like, all right, he's going to, like... Um, sort of pull the rug out on Stilgar, or not on Stilgar, on Edric here. And he says, fine. Religious manna was thrust upon me. I did not seek it. And he thought, there, let this fishman think himself victorious in our battle of words. Which sort of left me of like... Isn't that sort of against what he initially said and opened up this chapter with? Of like, okay, I was going to say, my feeling was like, how did Edric win with that line? That didn't feel like a concession of defeat to me. I'm just like, ha, Edric has it now. I'm like, wait, <laughs> what are you talking about? What is Edric talking about? Um, yeah, it's sort of like him, like, but this is what he feels, right? Mm-hmm. This is the sentiment we got at the end of Dune. And a little bit with him talking, I think, with Aaliyah before, like, we didn't choose this path. Right. Like, it was done to us by these people. It was going to happen no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, what, what do you get out of this for... The fish man being victorious. I think like almost like in a game of chicken or just like, you know, he was not sure how far Edric's trying to like go. Cause mm-hmm. like, is he trying to make a martyr of himself? How far is he going to go? Let me test back. If he's po- po- prodding him with his words, like a, like a dagger to armor. I think Paul's going to do a little bit of the same. So when Paul's retorting, he's basically saying that like, sure. Like I'm not a God. More or less. Like, this was thrust upon me. I didn't ask for it. Why is he saying this in front of his own Fremen, though? Right, yeah. I, oh, I wonder if the key word is already in there. Or like, I did not seek it. Oh, maybe. I wonder if that's the important, like, kind of what he's putting out there. Of Like, you know, I, it, like, this was not my choice or my intention. I didn't want this. Sure, yeah. Uh, how all that kind of adds up in a way. Uh, yeah, that's sort of the best I get out of it. And ultimately, Edric is going to come back and be like, well, why have you not disavowed all of it? Why have you not disengaged? Stepped away. Ooh. Always going to come back to that, Mike. Why have you, you know, thrown away this whole religion? Then tell them all what you're telling me right now. Why build the fane for Aaliyah? Why do all this shit? Mm -hmm. Paul just says, because of my sister Aaliyah. And there he watches Edric very closely. My one of my favorite lines of this chapter. I think it's like this and the final line are really great where he says, she's a goddess. Let me urge caution where Aaliyah is concerned. Lest she strike you dead with her glance. He's just passing the buck. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like, I think he needed the excuse to be like, (laughs) that's the reason I can kill you. No one's allowed to talk shit about her. And then it's not like the emperor did this. The emperor had to do it. He had to make it. I have to kill you. Like, it can't be you made me kill you. Uh, very good. And I don't know. I also, in the same way, I don't get how Edric got victory from the last one. I don't get why this defeats him so thoroughly, but it's like all of his comp, his smile fades off and he's got a look of shock. And Paul's like, I'm deadly serious. And like, he, no, I will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> or like she, she will be your cause of your death. Watching the shock spread seeing Stilgar nod. And that was sort of like what it was. Ooh. It was really throwing water on the Stilgar fire. I'm sure. Like, yeah. So it was like, okay. Okay, somebody will kill some today. <laughs> a, a, a guildsman will bleed today. Uh, 
And uh, this, I bet Sightail very much enjoys this whole move, too. Oh, yeah. Being behind the egg, I'm like, that was probably great. Since this, uh, watching Paul Edric put down Edric, like, get him, get him. Yeah, after, like, watching Paul get put down, like, this is a win-win for him. Yeah. Everybody's getting beaten up around him. And uh, I think it's after, oh, after taking Edric down a notch, Paul is now like, and this meeting's over, too. <laughs> and we're done. Stilgar quit while you're ahead yeah, yeah which was a few minutes ago Stilgar silently asks if he needs to kill Edric you know just a, I got this hand signal might as well use mm-hmm. it and Paul's like no and then reinforces it with a double no <laughs> of like, me, don't, don't kill him really seriously no jokes Stilgar don't kill him how many times has Stilgar had to kill someone after a meeting well, I bet there's there's at least been one time after Paul said no, but didn't do the imperative no. <laughs> no. Stilgar took the initiative someday and killed somebody. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this. Sure. You know you know what it makes me reflect on is um, there was that one bit. Uh, I can't remember specifically, but Paul was like, my dad said if you, teach, if you comment on something, you have to always comment on it from that point on. Like if mm-hmm. you tell a man how to do something, you always have to come back and say it. Sure. He clearly always has to come back now to tell him. Otherwise, he wouldn't do it because it's a waste of effort. Mm-hmm. That yeah. was uh, that was Paul saying that, right? In uh, the cave when it was the Sardaukar. Uh, yes, it yeah. was the Sardaukar with Cor. Was that Corba back in the day? It was Corba back in the day because when he skinned that man clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because those were Leto's words to him. Yeah, 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 it was Leto's, or him re- at least reflecting on Leto's uh, management style <laughs> for how he deals with his troops. That's great. Oh, I'm glad you brought it back to Corbin. Yeah. That is important. Uh, so we're not going to kill Edric. We're going to let him live. Uh, okay. Sightail starts pushing the tank out. And as he's passing our Emperor of the Known Universe, he stops. This is very strange. Like this hulking, like, look of a man, right? With these weird eyes. And, Just, like, why would the help be addressing the emperor? I mean, granted, <laughs> like, it's the only chance he's going to get in his whole life, right? I guess, maybe. I you're, guess passing, that's a fair you're passing point. the president, Mike. You're not <laughs> sure. going to be like, one win the thing. That text sucked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I like it. He's like, uh, sir, sir. And Paul's like, all right, speak, you weirdo. And he goes, some say that people cling to imperial leadership because space is infinite. They feel lonely without a unifying symbol. For a lonely people, the emperor is a definite place. They can turn toward him and say, See, there he is. He makes us one. Perhaps religion serves the same purpose, my lord. And then he just goes back to pushing the tank. And I'd just be like, what the fuck? I I think he's he's incepting Paul. Kind of. He's just using the words lonely, emperor, definite, one. Yes, he's got a, he's hammering something in, but I also just love the sentiment that he puts out there mm-hmm. of just being like, they just need a star to look at in the sky and say, that's the center. Mm-hmm. That will always be there. And that that brings so much peace. But it really just also shows you how hollow that all they need is a symbol. You're useless. Right. It could be anything. It's like it could be the Imperium. It could be religion. It doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. Perhaps religion serves the same purpose. Very good. Now, with this, this is where we get to the point where Edric is spent. He is uh, exhausted in his tank, <laughs> and he's, like, sanguine, which is so, like, so he's, like, just 
back, right? Like floating, sure. laid down, sprawled out. And it's like, Sidetail has to push him. This is the one bit where I think Edric enjoys this moment. <laughs> he, yeah. Like, he, Sidetail has to push him out sure. and take him. He can't, like, play it off. He's got to roll with it. Uh, and Paul stares after the shambling figure of Sidetail. This is where we cue into, like, why ask if he was a... Uh, face dancer Mm -hmm. while he was speaking he had radiated a feeling of many people as though his entire genetic inheritance lay exposed on his skin it is like that again you said like frank just pointing out hey remember face dancer it just i i wonder if that is supposed to be paul's impression of him and how paul couldn't make the connection there seems like laughable Right. A little bit. I In think, the same way Jessica didn't connect some dots last time. I mean, I think he's a little bit flustered from that meeting. Could be. I mean, he's definitely focused on different uh, things. He's yeah. focused on Edric. Yeah. Doesn't have time to entertain the possibility. Like, is that a face dancer? Who knows? Um, and Stilgar is going to, I think, speak for all of us and just say, that was odd. <laughs> like, speaking to no one in particular. <laughs> yeah, that's, I love that. Speaking to no one in particular. And just, odd. Just like, why did he say that? <laughs> Somebody had to, Mike. Yeah. I'm really glad he did. He's speaking for all the Fremen in the room right now. <laughs> Just like, I don't I don't know what to do. Uh, even I didn't follow that conversation. <laughs> and so now we're really going to turn our focus on Stilgar. I think the first half of this chapter, we're looking at Edric. We're turning our eyes now because we got to address a problem here. And Paul moves over to the window. And he had kept the window covered while Edric was here. And that was specifically to make Edric uncomfortable. I hope he got it to make it more claustrophobic. Oh, he, he could have had this, all these windows open, Mike, to the far fucking flung sure, desert. Sure, sure, sure. We had them all shut. Everything in this room was closed to confine and box you in. I thought that was a great little touch that Frank doesn't explicitly tell you. And looking out the window, we can see there's a work gang and they're dry, uh, dragging giant plasmel blocks to repair part of Elias Fane. Which was ah. damaged in a freak Coriolis storm. Which is like, all right, just a little world building you throw in there. I'm like, hey, right. stuff happens in the capital. Freak twisting of a sandblast wind. And I wonder if that's because it's a certain hole in a shield wall. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just a little bit. Yeah. Um, Stilgar kind of chides Paul for bringing that creature in here. And he uses the name Usal, very pointedly, Ooh. right? Uh, and he asks why Paul did it. Why'd you do it, Mike? Why'd you bring him in Paul here? Paul needs more data. Just like Piter wants power. He needs to go into more Mentat mode. Because, yeah. again, this prescience, it's not really working as well as it used to. And Which is interesting because then Stilgar's going to be like, isn't it dangerous to only meet this as a Mentat? Ooh. It's like, ooh. I feel like Paul longs to explain it was dangerous to meet this only as, like, the, you know, prescience. Yeah. Like, using that power. I can't rely on any one of them to do all my wor- uh, bidding. That sort of should be Paul's main lesson here. Uh, But Paul's going to explain that, look, Mentat abilities have their purpose too, even if it is finite. It's got a role to play with Mm -hmm. all this. I think he's starting to learn he's got to work with all of his, uh, every tool in his toolbox. Sure. And the Oracle and the Mentat in Paul point to the same thing, self-destruction. Self-destruction, though, is still preferable to some alternatives. And that's that deus ex machina, Franco bust out. Because again, Paul is just going to tell us, I've seen worse things. Yeah. Take my word for it, guys, and trust me on this. And we do just have to buy into He's it. He's saying that again. That's the second time we mentioned that this chapter. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's weird that it, it never really came up in Dune. We were always just trying to avoid this one fate. 
And now Paul has sort of reconciled himself to be like, you know what? I didn't choose the worst one. I guess, yeah. He's, but he's like, he's not really striving to choose a better one. Is he capable of doing that? Is it like the I mean, same thing it, as the jihad where like we're already down that route? I was going to say, yeah, bringing you back to the beginning of like us trying to make a perfect world. No, in a way, in the same way, maybe the guild is never going to be off of dependence and governments. Sure. No, I don't think you can. Uh, it's all kind of bundled up together. Do you want to, what do you, what do you think one of these worst alternatives would be? So it's worse than the jihad, oh, Mike. Worse than the jihad? Oh God, I don't even know. I think it would be something kind of like, remember when we did that big timeline, there was that era where like, uh, it was like the time of a thousand emperors or time of a million emperors. Oh, when everyone was like emperor of their own world. Exactly. I'm thinking like that would be a terrible kind of place. Yeah, I mean, I guess like... uh, If there was no power that could control the guilt in any manner. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess like... Yeah, I guess I can't think of anything. Maybe something happening to the spice? Because that would sort of... If there's no spice and like there's no rules, no one fucking cares anymore. No, you know what would be the worst? Is if, if the guild broke up. If high, if like that wasn't one thing anymore, if that got broken into various power groups, sure, and different power groups now had that technology, because part of the Imperium is just keeping the transport in one place, right? That way, it can be leveraged by the other entities and like the government, like government organization, if right. you will, or sure. like the great houses, the lands, right, yada yada. Well, Ooh. I mean, it can be regulated that way. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Ooh, but and if you got rid of that, that might be one of my dark. That might be my darkest. Then you have for nukes doing. coming everywhere. Yeah, who knows? Oh my god, space folding nukes. Yeah, it sounds horrifying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that might not good, not good. <laughs> but we don't got time to dally into this too much or daydream because they're rapid footsteps, and we get Paul's attention because he turns and Corba the Kizara runs in. Oh wait, wait! I think we missed a good spot here. Stilgar says, "There's always something outside." Something's best kept outside. I think he's referring to Edric in that case, but Paul sort of thinks the opposite or inside. And I think he's come to the realization that here lay the true horror. How could he protect himself from himself? He sort of is identifying the problems where he's the one that's losing like confidence or trust with those around him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I was, uh, I wanted to point or uh, hone in on Saitel's words, sort of saying like, you're alone. Yeah, yeah, playing that in. And I really liked how it was the Oracle and the Mentat and Paul coming to that same conclusion. Like, mm-hmm. he's uh, processing on dual channels that are doing very different work and coming to the same result. Yeah. But he still can't figure out why. Why, Mike? Why? We don't got time, though. Rapid footsteps happen. Boom. A door opens. Corba pops in. And uh, Corba, though, not really expecting Stilgar. He uh, is a little alarmed by this. The Stilgar sort of answered him, like, Corba, is that you? And he's like, oh, Stilgar, you're here. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> it's like, why are you surprised? Why? Yeah. Is he always with Muad'Dib? More or I less? Mean, one more or less. But yeah, Corba, though, Corba what? came here for a reason. Is he a little squirrelish? <laughs> what do you mean? I don't know. He just, I don't know. It just feels like uh, maybe out of place. He's, I, he's, he is he hiding something? He's hiding. He definitely is. Like that was unexpected to him. Enough that he recoiled with words. He was requested to come here, and he came here intentionally because he was just at another meeting. Mm-hmm. He ran out of that meeting to come to Paul, uh, and he's bringing with them uh, some pretty serious charges. But we'll get to that because first, let's deal with uh, 
The first complaint. Sure. Is um, Corba wants to complain about the reception with the guild that has happened just happened here. Corba is basically accusing Paul of honoring their enemies. That's a hefty little uh, charge to the level against your emperor. Paul's response. Is that all? Are those the reels I asked you to bring earlier? And like in Corba's hands, he's got these sugar wire orbs. Ooh, I actually, let me turn this back a second. When Corba comes in, Mm -hmm. there's a great little bit where the door bursts open and the light is behind him of like the setting sun or something. And again, it's going to cast him in that same way when he came back from the balcony giving the Oracle speech. He had like the halo cast on him that Stilgar saw. Oh, yeah. He's always coming from these like illuminated places. And then in his hand, before the door can shut, the sugar wire orbs look like flaming pearls, essentially. The light just catches in him and it goes out when the door shuts. You think this is supposed to uh, like help uh, illuminate the fact that He's the one that sort of is going to try to make a martyr of Muad'Dib. Just at least um, reinforcing that religious motif to Korba. Sure. There's some like always, uh, what do you, I don't even know what the word is, um, of like, it's making like a fiery aura behind him. Like a corona? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, it's always adding like a corona effect to Korba. Mm-hmm. Right and giving him this uh, religious feel. Sure, sure, uh, sure. Something important is happening. A divine him. sort of backlight. Ex- yeah, it's like like it really feels like he came from heaven here. Sure, like, sure. Just descended down with these gifts to his to see his god at that. Uh, and these sugar wire orbs are going to be the histories, right? And Paul has re- he's already seen these. He's requested these for Stilgar. Stilgar resents this, right? And mm. he notes caprice in Paul. It's a sudden change in mood to behavior. He's logging, like, these past few days have been weird. Yeah. And he keeps checking it. He's not happy with this at all. Stilgar, how many odd situations has Stilgar been in? I mean, his whole life? Probably, well, I mean, like, few, but in, since this yeah. book started. Yeah, yeah. Since, since Paul became emperor. Yeah. yeah, it's been a weird ride, for sure. Uh, and he right now, since this book started, he's been looking at, for a fault in his emperor. Yeah, yeah. And he got it last chapter, right? Mm-hmm. We saw him be like, wait a second here. Now we're watching that kind of crack between them grow, all at the conspiracy's behest. Do you think Stilgar's going to turn on Paul at any point? Ooh, I would. Well, I kind of wanted to ask you a different sort of question of like, what is Paul planning for Stilgar by requesting these uh, these objects? histories? Yeah, like what what is know. happening between the relationship in any manner? Take it from either. Do you think side. he's trying to sort of like get Stilgar back as like you know his brother? Like his CH brother in a way to like, like turn him uh, away from like the uh, the Mahdi and the Messiah. We know Paul is disgusted with that aspect of Stilgar. Sure. So yeah, I think mate, there's got to be some uh, leaning in him to like I want I want my Stilgar back. Well, he doesn't have enough people he can trust. He's starting to feel isolated and alone. I think yep. he's reaching out for anyone he can. And Stilgar, that was an important relationship that he had mm-hmm. when he was like living in the desert. So how is giving Stilgar Earth history kind of do that? I think he's just going to sort of like, you know, like we learned from our past, and this is something that like no one else knows. Mm -hmm. This is something that I'm entrusting to you. Mm -hmm. But then what about him not reading Stilgar's resentment to it? I mean... Because those should all be, those are surface level emotions. Right, right, right. That you could hone in on. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Very strange. But okay, so that is... uh, Let's go to your first question that of like, what do you think about Stilgar turning on Paul? Where do you see Stilgar falling into conspiracy? 
Ooh. You know, I actually can't see him going into con- the conspiracy. Corba, I absolutely can. <laughs> Corba is like hook, line, sinker for that. Corba, yeah, he's, he's really tangentially <laughs> away from it right now. Um, But I don't think Stilgar... I don't think he'd turn against them, but he might just like walk away. Okay. I could see them going back into the desert. Oh, oh wow. That would be that'd be a hefty moment. Yeah. Just walking into the desert. Still gotta be like, Oh, well, Mike, before this book ends, somebody will walk into the desert. <gasps> Promise you that. Ooh. Now, Paul asks what Stilgar, what history do you know? And Stilgar's like, hey, I know the history matters. Fremen history, baby. <laughs> and he basically like, he can, he can work out the wandering. All sure. the worlds that they set foot on, uh, everywhere we went in the Hajj. He probably has a great idea of how the Jihad went down too. Uh, but Paul wants him to learn about the golden age of Earth. We're going back to Terra, uh, which just means the time that Frank Herbert is writing in. It's basically the golden age of Earth. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And uh, uh, were they re- Was it really the golden age of Earth though? Ah, I mean, relative to the times before it, I yeah. Mean, I guess up and for as far as Frank knows, yeah, hey, so <laughs> sure. far not bad. Uh, I mean, Mike, look at the Middle Ages to like where we are now. Sure, Golden Age for sure. But I mean, I think he's been uh, a little facetious, a little facetious, and yeah. like it's just because that's the time frame you're in right now. You're not even looking like what's going to happen in fifty years. Well, yeah, and it ha- it just has the mystique of being in the past, like uh, when we discovered how to like travel to the stars or like anything. What was our technology at then? Well, that was We're... Frank Herbert's golden age, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly that time. Oh. But yeah, I, I like that Stilgar refers to this. Like, this is from the realm of myths from the dawn of time. I'm like, yeah, it's useless information. I kind of agree with you in a way. Uh, and Stilgar, though, he wants to talk about the very space named Zabulon Conquest. Ooh. Yeah, that's cool, right? Zabulon. We're never going there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> His mind is full of data of the Zabulon conquest. And this shows, uh, I think it's giving you an example of what it will be like. Uh, Cause he sees the pulse synchronizer later that Corba has. Mm-hmm. And he, refl- he remarks like, Oh, I, I wouldn't want to use that. I hate the idea. And I think it's cause he has for the Zabulon computations. Cause Stilgar knows like so much about this that normally wouldn't be in Stilgar's head. And he talks about it as if it's like a, an extra thing in there. Sure. Like it's something that was put in there that I don't have full control of. And I really want to get this all out right now because mm-hmm. I hate this feeling right now. Okay. Okay. It's so unnatural to him. Yeah. And with this Corba is just like a third wheel. He's just going to be up to the side. And Ooh, let's not gloss over the fact that apparently Paul has a staff of Mentats. Oh, where, where is that? Stilgar's mind felt crammed with the Zabulon data computations from the staff Mentats. Thank you. Nice. Yeah. I mean, the emperor would. Yeah. You yeah. don't need one house Mentat. Staff of Mentats. That is a nerdy room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I love it. So Stilgar, oh, this is a bit of the pulse synchronizer that I really liked. Uh, as usual, Stilgar found that he he couldn't escape a deep suspicion at the thought of using a projector and detachment. The thing always immersed him in disturbing sensations, an overwhelming shower of data which his mind sorted out later, surprising him with the information he had not known he possessed. Ooh. Stilgar does not like that. This is a man who likes to know, you know, every fiber of his being he's familiar with. To do something like that is just not right. Uh, and so Stilgar, he really wants to walk through the Zabulon bit. Uh, 
Paul is going to come at it with a little Fremen idiom of uh, dehydrate the Zabulon data. Ooh. I'm like, ah, I love that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Would you? It said kind of what dehydrate was. What did you pick up from it for the meaning of that? Like burn it to hell. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's useless. Yeah. Like you don't need that water is useless is yeah. like the more important part. Uh, and Paul, or oh, I'm sorry, this one actually is for me here. This discussion of history is kind of my basis for the unbroken history. Because Paul dips into his like prescience, right? And mm-hmm. he just pulls out a quote from this long bit. And his knowledge of history would be complete and almost infallible. And he tells um Stilgar to like, look, look up Genghis Khan. And so it's like, all right. Ooh. So now we're at least linking in Genghis Khan did exist in this realm and ours, even if we're counting parallel universes and such. Uh, and he killed like what? Four million? And so it was like, well, yeah. has some pretty good weaponry. Oh, was he one of the Sadogar? And he's like, God damn, no, he wasn't the Sadogar. And he's like, uh, this other guy, he killed six million, an emperor named Hitler. And like, okay, we're going to do Hitler? Sure. And Paul Lester also explained, like, look, they kill like I kill still. Like, they have their troops With do legions. Their legions do it, you know? And Stilgar is sort of not grasping this. Uh, you know, it's going over his head a little bit. And... Paul's just like, all right, I need to get more uh, more blunt with this, right? We're going to bring up the stats of what he's actually done. And he glances over at the reels in Corpus' hands. Corpus stood with, though, stood with them as though he wished he could drop them and flee. Ooh. Mom and dad are fighting in front of the, <laughs> in front sure. of the kids. And then we get uh, this great line of statistics. At a conservative estimate, I've killed 61 billion. Oh. Sterilized 90 planets. Completely demoralized 500 others. I'd wiped out the followers of 40 religions which had existed since. Unbelievers! I thought we only had a couple of religions. It was all like OC Bible. I guess there are more. <laughs> I mean, we were never, we didn't have a anything staked out permanently sure. or like specifically for Is like the what the Bible reli- gone now? Is that religion just sort of kaput? I mean, it's definitely fractured. Uh, it's not the Fremen one. So, yeah, it's got to be part of this whole sweeping hmm. mess. Wow. I, I don't know. Uh, we I, That's something I don't think is ever fleshed out fully in Dune. And it's sort of like not, it, you know, greatly important. You know, Frank would rather you just figure out what you want the truth to be. So based off the uh, children's nursery rhyme, Yui, 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 mm. are we blaming Yui for these 61 billion deaths? No, no, a million deaths were not enough for Yui. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he decided to keep going. 61 billion's where we ended. Yeah, yeah, I think you do. I feel like you can't pass the, pass the buck to Yui on that one. Well, okay, hey, so in that mindset of like trying to figure out where Frank had the idea for the second book and the first book, sure. do you think that is something that he didn't consider, like... Was definitely a Dune, not a Dune Messiah idea. I think so. Of being like Yui, it seems like we've dropped even blaming anything on Yui. I, I don't think you can at this point. Yeah. You know what? And maybe we only would have for the 12 years in between. I don't. I guess the Yui could just be the Arakeen crisis. Like leading up to oh, based off sort of, of ascension. Like he calls that problem. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we're not blaming Yui for the jihad is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm just like, that seems a little <laughs> excessive. Failing up though, baby. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? Like he knows that his history is gonna be like stained black in like you know eons. Yep. He didn't know it was gonna be stained with that much stained blood. Stained red. <laughs> it's like, excuse me. So good. 
Um, but so with this touch of the religions, I love Korba is like, time they're all unbelievers. We didn't kill any uh, religions. And Paul's like, no, they were believers. They just had their own beliefs. Korba's like, you make a joke. <laughs> <laughs> like very awkward laughing. <laughs> oh, no. I love Korba. He, oh, he bought God. in so much. The jihad has brought 10,000 worlds into the shining light. And Paul cuts in into the darkness. And it's like, he oh. is just Corba's personal troll. Just, I, feel, I mean, like, I do kind of feel bad for Corba in a way. He just wants to believe. <laughs> he, he really, and Paul has to have encouraged this. You couldn't have done this on day one and Corba was still like, like this. I mean, I think his work from uh, the first book has already sort of like cemented it. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. He didn't have a choice. Um, but he, he's already yeah. failed Muad'Dib once. He's never doing it again. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you think that that uh, experience in the caves like really uh, shaped something in Korba? I mean, that and he, I think it would be a combination of that and whatever. Remember, Paul said he would prophesize for his people. Yeah. I think uh, was it um, Farouk actually told us that mm-hmm. he would prophesize for men. Something in there. Yeah. He told Korba something, and Korba that just broke him. Corbo yeah. was no longer a Fremen ever again. Jeez. Uh, and this ends with like Paul just laughing bitterly, right? Of how he says, we'll be a hundred generations recovering from Moaji's jihad. I find it hard to imagine that anyone will ever surpass this. A barking laugh erupted from his throat. So it's like, Moadib? Yeah. Well, and then he explains that was his vision of Hitler saying that. Of Hitler saying, we'll be a hundred generations recovering from like, for him, I guess it would be the war and the Holocaust. I find it hard to imagine that anyone will ever surpass this. Sure. That's not an actual pressing vision though. That's just him saying like, just the irony of it. Like I, he, he says he had a vision. You can make it that way. You will. Do you, he even, he follows up with no doubt he did. I think he's just laughing. Like I bet Hitler said the same thing. Like okay. no one's ever going to do it. Like kill as many people as I am doing right now. That's an interesting, uh, like, uh, couching to put in that of like, I bet he did. Yeah. Yeah. Of like, it lets you go either way. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he would say he had a vision then. If he wasn't like, I mean, I, I, I think I, that's I lean the towards same, like, no, I no, think I think he, that's the same way you and I sort of project like, oh, yeah. like, wouldn't it be funny if this or like, I imagine this. I think that's what Paul's. Ooh, sort of saying wow of all people paul you can't use vision loosely yeah i know but you, you i, I say, also don't think he really cares you could say i was imagining hitler as uh, much as he's slapping around korba and his religious zealotry like i yeah. don't think he really cares yeah oh i just mean for these high-minded people syntax matters i know no, but that, that's a good point of like okay it could just be him conferring that uh you're never gonna let me have this continuity of history no i'm not never uh <laughs> Corbett, though, he contends that, well, no ruler has ever had your powers. And this really helps get to the lesson Paul wants to leave Stilgar with, right? Because he turns to Stilgar. He's, yes, it's the Legion's control, Paul said. I wonder if they know this. Oh, that they don't actually need him. And Stilgar is going to have to cut in like, you control your Legion, sire. Stilgar interrupted, and it was obvious from the tone of his voice that he suddenly felt his own position in that chain of command. And it's like, yes, and you control my legions for me, Stilgar. Like, you are the next chain. Do you think, oh, do you think Paul's trying to sort of pass this on to Stilgar? It's like, I'm out. You guys do what you want. I, in, 
Uh, I think that I see what you're saying there. Definitely a possibility. I dig it kind of more of like what Paul wants and maybe touching on what he was talking with Edric about of how, like, how could you, the schism exist and stuff like that. Like he doesn't, he doesn't want to be the one that control. He wants you to use your power. Like he's given all these, he's empowered all these people. None of them will fucking take it. Corba won't take like the Paul would totally let him be God if he wanted to. Sure, sure, sure. Corba could. He's he's dressed him up already. He exactly that's what I'm saying. He he lets him go out and do it. He's put him in the position. You could just take this Corba, and I would do nothing to stop you. But Corba never will. In the same way, Stilgar never will. I think he's just he's really just trying to delegate this off to other people. Yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> I didn't want... think it was going to be this hard when I was emperor. And again, Paul never asked for this. This is his mom's fault. This is grandma's fault. This is like everybody's fault but his. His cousin Shaddam. It's really a big family affair. <laughs> so twisted. Uh, but I kind of like the point of your saying too. Of like, is he priming all this up to be like, you could just do this whole thing, Stilgar, and maybe I don't even have to be here? Because he brought him here specifically to show him and tell him like Genghis Khan. He killed with his legions. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, yeah, and at least maybe breaking. Uh, there's something. I think kind of in the way we were saying we wanted the we want to break Stilgar the creature. We sure. want Stilgar we can rely on back. I want someone I can lean on, someone who can lead that legion. Yeah, maybe like he's just trying to get him back into a commander stance. And uh, we get our understanding right now that Aaliyah is enter- entertaining the guild entourage. That's mm-hmm. where uh, Korba has just come running from. Sure. And uh, Cheney is watching from the spy hole right now. So Ooh. cycling out people, Shaney's oh. up there watching for Sadokar and trying to eye them out. Uh, and then we get a new Fremen alert, Mike. We get to meet the chief of Paul's security detail. Ooh. What'd you get for a name? Banerjee? Is that what it is? That is what it is. Banerjee. Now, Banerjee is quite worried that uh, someone's been trying to make it into the personal quarters. He does not what? like how all these guilds, like, oh, we don't really know the floor plan, uh, per se, but it does seem like somewhere where this meeting is attaches to the personal quarters in a way that troubles this Fremen, oh, who's sure. in charge of, like, this whole palace. Oh. And, mind you, like, chief of the emperor's security detail. Sure. You got to be up there. That's got to be a very trusted person. And even, like, Stilgar seems to trust him. Yeah, Banerjee. And we know that no one has made it that far, but there was a confusion in the gardens. Oh. Like, ooh, go on. Yeah, yeah, elaborate on this confusion. It's like, well, there was trampled plants, whispered conversation. The ambassador himself was saying, like, are these how our taxes are spent? <laughs> I'm like, oh, Edric. Is that, was, I wonder if that was Edric on his way to this meeting, like passing <laughs> through that meeting, uh, through the entourage. Uh, and then there were strangers present. Dozens of them. Very buff strangers were those the Sardaukar. Yeah, because we were assuming that there's some Sardaukar with uh, the guild entourage. They definitely are. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to get back in any way they can. Any way they can. Do you think that's uh, what Saitel is trying to project? This, like, Hulk of a man. Oh, oh, that's good. That'd be cool. I, I, I wish uh, we got that more feeling from, sure. like, yeah, from Paul or something. I'm mm-hmm. like, wonder... Yeah, we never get, like, a good fake-out with the the faces so far. Yeah. That's a shame. Oh, we we had missed out. With I think Corbin? that's the point, though, that, like, the way Frank's writing oh. side tales, like, he's out of the limelight. He does not want to be discovered. Kind of, well, no, actually, you know what? I just want to reflect back. Uh, the For Otham's daughter, he did pull off the voice. 
he did the fruit voice. Like, sure. That was the only time he had to do something sneaky and quick. That right. was like, oh, okay, clever, clever. But that would have been a fun one to fuck with them even more. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, why did he bring a Sadoka? You could have made it seem like the Carinos were aligned with, like, the guild in some manner. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, all kinds of things. I think uh, the reason he didn't do it too, too much, probably, mm-hmm. is, I mean, if he speaks with a, a different voice like that, would probably be able to note, like, that's not your real voice. Uh, of what, if he tried to emulate a Sadokar? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. Tough to tell. So, Paul, he's getting the feeling, uh, kind of queuing back in on Stilgar here, that Stilgar has pulled back mentally. And this is that Stilgar is deeply suspicious of Paul. We already said he noted that change, the caprice in Paul earlier. Yeah. It's just been building and building. Uh, Paul is going to order Korba to remove the people. Um, but as Korba waits... Now, this is very important. You give him the order. Get rid of all these people. Corbin's like, oh, aye, aye. He stops him. Because Paul's like, I, I see. He cued in. Stilgar moves to see Paul's face in a very Fremen way. It's sly, but respectful of one's privacy. And then Stilgar moves. This is where Stilgar now gets backlit. Not so much with the corona of religion, but this light that is remembrance of the desert. Which is the same feeling that Aaliyah was struck with each time that dust was hitting her nose and whatnot right, in that right. chapter. And Paul is now going to change it a little bit more. Our orders are going to get mixed up here. Sure. So we uh, we got this little conversation. Paul's going to ask, like, what, what time is it? Corba tells him it's midnight. And he Paul then just says, Corba, I think you may be my finest creation. Ooh. Yeah, like, that's tr- I don't really know the meaning of that. But it goes on, and Corba gets this little injury in his voice, and he's like, Sire. Paul asks him, do you feel awe of me? You are Paul Moadib, who is Usal in our Siech, Corba said. You know my devotion, too. Paul asks him, have you ever felt like an apostle? So like, just to spill out Paul's words there, or Corba, I think you might be my finest creation. Do you feel awe of me? Have you ever felt like an apostle? Corba can't address this or answer these questions, right? Mm-hmm. And he's just like, he's getting batted back and forth. He's misunderstanding the words, but he correctly interpreted the tone. My emperor knows I have a clean conscience. Just like, so he got the tone of like, I'm questioning you. Yeah, he's just like, I'll say, he just goes through the Moody playbook right now. And this is after he had told Corba to go deal with the people. Sure. And then decided not to. Something in Korba so readily accepting to go deal with them, he didn't like. Paul says, Shai Halud, save us. Which that is a, like, personal murmur. Yeah, it's just like, like this, oh my God. This guy is so lost. But, like, that's that's the point. It's like, if you're going to have someone head up the religion, Korba mm-hmm. would be the best one to do it. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you want that to sort of, like, do its own thing. You think that's why he's saying Shai Halud, save us? Just, I think, just by like how on the point uh, Corb is, he answers it the most like politically correctly he can within like his zealotry. Oh, so do you think Paul is like a little cynical in saying that? Yeah, he absolutely is. Okay, I took. I think he's murmuring that to himself. No, he is. No, no, but very like, like the Fremen Paul meaning that religiously of like shy, like we are damned because of how this man is acting. This guy is so lost. He's so far gone. He's I can't count on him for anything. He's going to bring the destruction onto all of us. In the same way kind of guys held and looked on Irulan. That's the impression I get. And this is, hold on, let me just bring you to my sure. exchange to why I'm under 
Paul can't trust Corba anymore. It's done. Sure. It all happened in that conversation. He's like, this man is going to betray me in some manner. So he tells him, Paul uh, is going to have Banerjee remove the people. You'll take them with you, Corba. Banerjee will do it. Banerjee is the one you trust. Corba is disquieted in helping Banerjee in this way. He doesn't like that. And that's like a really subtle difference there. Like, you go deal with the guild. I don't trust you to deal with the guild. Banerjee will do it. And now Corba's like, uh, I guess I, I don't really want to do this anymore, but he has to. He's like, you can't say no to the emperor yeah. because you already admitted you won't say no to the emperor. Yeah. You fucking traitor. Now, we get to the end of our chapter, Mike, and I, I love the ending of this. This is Paul talking to Stilgar, really. Some of my friends have forgotten they were once Fremen, Paul said, speaking to Korba, but designing his words for Stilgar. You will mark down the ones Cheney identifies as Sadakar, and you will have them killed. Do it yourself. Oh. I want it done quietly and without undue disturbance. We must keep in mind that there's more to religion and government than approving treaties and sermons. I obeyed the orders of Moadib, Korba whispered. The Zabulon computations? Still grasped. <laughs> I was like, I've got this folder. Tomorrow, Paul said. And when the strangers are removed from the gardens, announce that the reception is ended. The party's over still. Oh. <laughs> I understand, my lord. I'm sure you do, Paul oh, said. Oh, my gosh. So, just to unpack there, it's that bit of, uh, I'm beyond just having uh, Banerjee go with him, I'm sorry, it is actually, it's having Korba kill them himself. Yeah. Bloody your hands. You do it. Maybe Sightail notices, like, well, the starter card disappearing. Maybe I'll take a different form. <laughs> Well, and like the Sadokar aren't part of the conspiracy plan. As no, they're not. Right? I think they're just trying to get an in wherever they can. This is Shaddam being like, what can I do to get back in? Yeah, something, maybe something Korba's like in with. That may, Ooh. That's the kind of impression I get of like that. I think that's why Paul wants him to do it himself. Maybe. Of, uh, and a little reminiscent, you brought up the shaving of him. This is kind of bringing us back to what brought Korba in the fold. Right. You need to go kill Sadokar again. Mm-hmm. And do it right. And do it right. That's pretty intense. Still getting over, though. The, the party's over still. I love what Paul says to him, too. Corba, I think you may survive all of this. Yeah. Isn't that? It's, what do you make of that? I mean, I think Paul senses the greater danger and probably does know certain things that might transpire based off what he's collecting for data. But, like, everything is just so, like, muddied. He knows he can't trust Corba, but he's pretty sure because Corba is just sort of like he's just doing what he thinks is right mm -hmm. he's probably gonna make it out of this alive just because he's always just gonna say yes to whoever okay Corba's a yes man Corba that yeah he's definitely a yes man I don't know if I'm on board with the total assessment but you got me at the end Corba sure. Corba is a yes man <laughs> that will be it but no we're we're definitely gonna keep a very close eye on Corba for the rest of the journey through this book is there anything else you want to unpack from that chapter? No, just I think we're having Stilgar sort of reverting from that uh, creature of uh, faith or I, a creature of the Mahdi. I think we're shedding that skin. Yeah. I think I feel great about that. But yeah, but what side will he end up? I guess it doesn't really matter as long as he's out in the desert. We need to get Stilgar honestly, out of this palace. Honestly, like if uh, even if he is no longer with Paul Moadiv, I'm just so psyched for Stilgar to sort of go back into... He's he's in mode. Yeah. Yeah. We're not we're not losing him entirely. And I think Paul is definitely doing it on purpose. Pushing him yeah. a little bit. I like it. I think so. Yeah. Sure.
I could see I could see all the uh, evidence of it on the board, mm-hmm. like kind of shifting these pieces around using the limited data he does have at the moment. Sure, uh, but you know, we're, so is this Paul trying to disengage? Oh, I don't think this would count as disengaging. I feel like it's still him trying to figure out what the game is. Because, sure. like, right now he's sort of like every other player is on the board. Mm-hmm. He just realized that a few of his own pieces have moved. Korba, Stilgar. It's like he can count on Aaliyah and Cheney. That's it. So mm. he's going to move Stilgar a little bit. He's going to move Korba a little bit. Keeping, like, this kind of Cheops analogy. Dang. Right. We'll see uh, how the conspiracy will counter him. For now, Mike. Let's go pay some bills. Let's go do it. All right, Derek. So Corba, Stilgar, taking the side, seeing who he can trust. Do you, do you know who you can trust, Derek? I know who you can always trust, Mike. You can trust Audible.com. <laughs> and right now, they're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial when they visit audibletrial.com slash SpiceWorldPod. What do they get with that trial? One credit that they can use to pick from one of thousands of titles, like Dune. That was my first audiobook. And, and what if they have Amazon Prime? Well, if they've got Amazon Prime, they get two credits instead, Derek. Now they can pick up Messiah as well. Ooh. And then on, they'll receive an additional credit each month to help them build an amazing audiobook library. Derek, you and I are avid fans of Audible. What are you listening to right now? I was going in the bank, Mike. Uh, and this time I went back to an old favorite of mine. You know, I, I brought up a few months here before. Sure. My other Alexander Dumas is The Count of Monte Cristo. Ooh. You ever read that book? I have not. It is a tome. It is a hefty book to get through. It's like 1,600 pages. Uh, and my great the I've read it one and a half times. Okay. The first time I read it, I made it halfway through. 700 <laughs> pages, Mike. And I realized I would mistaken this character for... I thought it was the son and it was the father the whole time. And it's like, I was like, kill him. Kill him now. You've got him right where you want him. Not the right guy. And it wasn't until like the two characters were in the same room at page 700 that it's like, no. And my mind was so like, bro- I just closed the book and I was like... I can't do it. <laughs> Years later, I came back to it. I made it all the way through. I followed Dante on his marvelous journey. Uh, you know, the crux of it is this man is wrongfully in prison. He breaks out of jail in this amazing heist, finds this island of treasure from that he learned while he was in prison. He uses that to make this fake guy's Count of Monte Cristo, and he then goes on like a thousand pages of just plotting revenge. It is yeah. so good. It is so thorough. I can't recommend it enough. It has one of my favorite side stories in it, which is the tale of Luigi Vampa, who's this Italian bandit. But go check <laughs> it out. The audiobook of it is incredible. It's The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. That's fantastic. But Derek, 30 days are up. What if you don't like Audible? Hey, oh, Mike, what will happen? You're going to get invited to a little, like, it's like kind of like welcoming entourage party. Sure. And, you know, one ring of that wing of the house kind of deal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... You're going to keep mingling around, and you'll notice one guy's a little bit buffer than the other guys. <laughs> yeah. That guy's going to pull you aside and say, I'm not really who you think I am. Ugh, you got 30 days. Quit. Oh, and then they kind of walk off. You're going to be like, oh, shit. Cancel. That guy won't show back up. If you don't, he will come back. But they will slip in some soda car to get you a message and let you know 30 days prior. You need to cancel this. I love it. So some people will get a courtesy email instead of a starter car. Oh, yeah. They, every, you know, they, they'll entertain you. Mix it up. Exactly. 50-50 shit. 
regardless of if you stay on or decide to cancel your Audible, you still get to keep your entire audiobook library. Anything you purchase with those credits, anything you got from month to month, all those Audible originals for free on there, they're can't, yours for life. I can't help but add them sometimes. Yeah, I know. I've got a huge collection right now, and it's actually wonderful. <laughs> it's like a real bookshelf where I have, like, I'm never going to listen to those. I'm never going to read those, actually, but I keep adding them to it. My digital bookshelf is getting to be the size of my actual bookshelf. I'm like, ooh, that's not good. That's a problem. <laughs> I know. But, hey, guys, we know you understand the value of a good book. You read Dune. We're going to help you get a free audiobook when you visit audibletrial.com slash spicerollpod. So guys, head on over there and let us know what you pick up with that free trial at audibletrial.com slash SpiceWorldPod. All right, Derek, I can't wait to see what we have today for the deep dive. It's a great one. All right, back into it, back into the deep dive. Mike, you know what topic we're doing today? Um, no, actually. The Fremen Jihad. Oh, so... We had 12 years that passed in between the two books, and luckily, we do go into a little bit of detail in the Dune Encyclopedia, telling us what happened, you know? What was that like? How, how I was, bad was it? Didn't I ask you that, like, earlier? Like, what actually happened during that 12 years? Probably. And I definitely would have been before I think I went through this, so we would have just been spitballing some things. Sure. But I got some specifics now. Okay. Now, before we can go anywhere, though, Mike, we have to address... The oldest work on the Balerian Jihad was titled The Last Jihad. Three volumes. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and you know, like, to this day, it's still one of the best. Like, if you want to learn about okay, the Balerian sure. Jihad, you pick up The Last Jihad. Uh, this three-volume box set you can get. The authors, though, were far too competent as historians to believe the title anything more than a statement of hope, as their introduction to this monumental study makes clear. Sadly... As uh, all know now, their hope was in vain. Yeah. The Fremen Jihad, 10,000 years after the Butlerian, was every bit its equal in suffering, destruction, and death. Pretty intense. Yeah, yeah, matches it all. Now, the uh, historians of the Rackus Horde have some journals they can pull from. And there's mm-hmm. one quote uh, that goes, uh, statistics. At a conservative estimate, I've killed 61 billion, sterilized 90 (laughs) planets, completely demoralized 500 others. I've wiped out the followers of 40 religions. I wonder where we get that from. Oh, reference catalog (laughs) 55-889. Okay. Where did you hear from? (laughs) But no, they do know it's from Paul, from our our Emperor Moadib way back in the day. You know what I'm curious about? Mm. Why Paul decided to look at Genghis Khan and Hitler as examples instead of Jean Butler? Because it wasn't really her thing. They ended up using her name down the road, and it was like the people using the movement to kill others. Well, no. So she was the commander up until her death. Like, she still has all that blood on her hands. Right. She just did her effort, and we are going to address this in this uh, article, too. Like, she did what she could to minimize it, but she's still a part of it, and you don't get to wipe her hands clean for that reason. Sure. So, so I, I think like you, you do still incorporate her to an extent. Okay. Now, uh, this was a, a record to put the Butlerian Jihad to shame in volume, if not degree. The grim shade of the Butlerian chiefess. Uh, I'm sorry. Give me Claudia. The grim shade of the Butlerian chief priestess Arania. Do you remember her from our deep dive? No, I don't. She was like the uh, Bene Gesserit leader of the group. The, like, kind of hardcore. 
pretty bloodthirsty woman who wanted to kill everybody. This was oh, who was really... Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes. There, there we go. Okay, okay, yeah, the warlord. <laughs> she was the one who took over after John Butler. And sure, was kind yeah, of the ones button right. heads with John Butler. Uh, Chief Priestess Arania. And um, my... Uh, yeah, you know, so the grim shade of Chief Priestess Arania might well remark that her jihad had not the advantage of so many inhabited planets uh, or such a number of their fellows. Given this handicap and the number of victims available, the leaders of the Butlerian Jihad could still point with pride to their accomplishments. So, I love oh. one, calling the grim shade of the, the chief priestess Aradia. I mean, like, she wouldn't have, her spirit would be angered and still, sure, like, yeah, roaming yeah. on the world, like, left over there. She just didn't have enough many people to shoot. You know, you have more targets, a fish in a barrel for you. Like, mm-hmm. if only we were so lucky, we would have just murdered everybody. Now, it has been argued neither of the true leaders of the two jihads were willing butchers. John Butler, we are told, argued against the urgings of the priestesses of Comos, and Paul Moadib grieved over the slaughter accomplished by his Fremen. It seems less difficult to believe that Jeanne, as a reluctant leader of such a horde of hers, she was but an extraordinary human being after all, while Paul was a proven Mahdi. So <laughs> I, I love that. Like, I'm like, she gets an out of like, hey, she's just a person, right? right. <laughs> like, it's like, Paul, you had fucking real prescience. Yeah, like, you yeah. could you could do things. Jean had no, there was no way for her to know what sure. was about to happen yeah, yeah. in the way Paul gets to. Now, how it is possible uh, that such a man as he, prescient and pussyant, could be persuaded to such a course against his will? The question has been posed by many since the end of the Fremen Jihad, and ever more frequently since the publication of the archives from Rackus. Just like, yeah, get a little plug in there for yourself. Right, right. So, so how far ahead in the future is this one? This is also in the Rackus Horde? Yeah, we're in the year, like, uh, 15,000. Okay. So I think we're, like, a good 5,000 years out. Sure. Uh, the answer has generally consisted in an attack upon the question. That is, in a response which holds that such a query shows an ignorance to the limitations within which even such an emperor as Paul Moadib must operate. Several forces combine to force jihad upon him. So we're always kind of the same answer that Paul always gives us, right? Of like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Like, because of all this great force pushing down on me. Like, I can't. So, avoid like, it. even the writers are like, it's not all his fault. Yeah. Well, they're but we saying, can still blame him. <laughs> but within the answer, they just sort of attack the question. And ultimately, it's sort of unsatisfying for both, right? Of like, mm. you're just not bringing in their limitations to it. And it's like, well, yeah, but there are limitations, but he still has the power of like, right. it's got to go somewhere. Uh, the most obvious, uh, so again, this is several forces combined to force the jihad upon him. Mm-hmm. The most obvious of these forces was the revolt of the land's red houses prompted by the overthrow of the house Carina. Oh, so this, so wait, wait. this breaks new ground for me, Mike. Too. Yeah. Yeah. What, what are you thinking? So the land's red turned on Paul. Weren't they going to go where the Joan prophets were? Kind of. It's just that the Landsrad took a... They saw opportunity with the collapse of the Emperor. Sure. Don't consider it so much as like anti-Paul, but just sort of like, we've never been here before. Feeding like, frenzy. Let's see what we can take. I got a shot at freedom. I'm going to take it. Sure. How'd that work out, everybody? 
Because, like, the Imperial House was there for so long. Yeah. You've removed the buck stop. It changes everything. So the Imperium had survived for 10 millennia as a balance of tensions. The struggle between the Imperial House striving to survive as supreme power and the voracious Great Houses wishing to end that supremacy mm-hmm. was one of the fundamental tensions of the Imperium. They were played off of each other. They required each other to exist in tension, yeah. right? When the great houses learned that one of them had finally succeeded, it was only to be expected that the most powerful would take the opportunity to declare independence from the new Imperium. Oh. Because again, like, remember, what was Leto's role in the Landsrad? He's like the mascot. Yeah. He's like the popular jock guy. Sure, yeah. He just knocked out the bully. And now everyone's like, Oh, we can all do it. But it's like, no, but it wasn't Leto that did it. No. No, it was a bigger bully. (laughs) (laughs) And then... Elmorte incarnate. It really is. Oh, he's come back again. Believing themselves free of the Sadokar and unaware of the greater menace of the Fremen, they saw in the events on Arrakis the chance to fulfill a dream of generations. So that illuminates to me something huge of just like... Remember how there's no communication off of Arrakis for that three years? Yeah. No one knew the Fremen were a thing. Yeah. So when the Sadokar were defeated... They're like, yeah, we're... Th- they <laughs> the did, threat's they, gone. They didn't ask the obvious question, right? Like, well, what killed the threat? <laughs> yeah, right, They're right, just right. like, that's gone, right? That's they, all they, they care about. They didn't think of there being a bigger and, fish. And it was one of us that did it. Maybe it's a whole new world, you oh know? Oh, my God. Because, again, it's that camaraderie, I think, of like a great house did that to the emperor. Like, Mm. one of us. New dogs. So the great house that rebelled made a disastrous miscalculation. Yeah. The old Imperium had regarded political ambition as a constant of human nature. Punishment for failed plots had never been intended to wipe out such ambition through severity. Rather, whatever harshness had characterized the sanctions for unsuccessful grasp at power had been designed to delay and weaken the next outstretched hand. Yeah, so, like, we're not going to kill you. We're just going to put you down. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Make an example. It's useless to kill everyone. Like, that's going to hurt all of us in the long run. It's like trying to get rid of bugs. Yeah. You're never going to do it. But we want to mitigate the diseases caused by bugs. And yet, we're just going to slap that hand really hard so it takes a little longer to reach back out next time. But also sort of like puts us in a never-ending cycle. And that's sort of like what the Imperium wanted before, right? Mm -hmm. Now, this this is not to make the House Carino a collection of philanthropic philosophers. (laughs) It's only to see them as realists. To be like, yeah, they're not angels. Like, Shaddam wasn't doing this out of the greater will of humankind. It makes sense. It keeps me in power and you in check. Let's roll. And hey, you got to say, 10,000 years, even the Bene Gesserit might be like, you did all right. That's a a good system. And of course, the Sardaukar is like the best tool to do that with. Because they're just like, yeah. The Sardaukar were the instrument of these realists. The first emperor had been a Sardaukar. Remember, that was Saadia the first. Right. Yeah. And uh, since they since then, they followed the imperial house out of a most intense combination of self-interest and ingrained loyalty. Because, again, it's sort of like it's the hand that feeds me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, but once the threat of the Sardaukar was removed, any great house would naturally <laughs> lunge at the opportunity to declare its own independence and would, in fact, think 
of becoming the Imperial House itself. Oh, no. None of them expected to be annihilated for this. <laughs> no. Which implies some of them were annihilated yeah, for this, Yeah, I Mike. think several of them were. They were acting as their experience of, of centuries had taught them uh, they should. And the House Carino would not have expected anything else. But House Carino's gone. Yeah, but this isn't House Carino. This is Paul Muadib. They misunderstood their new opponents. What seemed to the great houses to be a matter of politics was to the Fremen a province of religion. <laughs> oh, God. Which I love how this is yeah. really matching to what we were talking about in the chapter. Like, yeah, we've changed the paradigm of the uh, government. The leader of the great houses saw themselves as taking advantage of a moment of political flux. The Fremen saw unbelievers defying their Mahdi. No. It's all a big misunderstanding, Mike. <laughs> political flux defying the Messiah. Oh, God. To the Fremen, rebellion against Paul Moadib was an attack on the Messiah, promised them for thousands of years and now come. The Fremen followed Paul out of a religious belief buttressed by a desire for vengeance upon the Harkonnens and the Imperium, which had oppressed them from the time immemorial. Still going hot. Yeah. Immemorial for all but them. Because they remembered. Oh, my God. Remember that time in the when we were with Jessica, Aaliyah, and uh, Hara? And the, the nightly prayer came yeah, on. Yeah. Every night the Fremen remember every wrong done to them by everybody else. That's intense. Yep. Now it's all coming. That that's that night prayer might be part of this tradition, <laughs> which I feel like for every other world, it's like, and now we shame ourselves for 30 minutes tonight before we go to bed. <laughs> Put ourselves in check. Yep. It's so good. Uh, it was their traditions and the religion which turned a war to consolidate control of an empire into a jihad. So that's the other bit that it spirals out of control. Right. It's something Paul had to do to consolidate the empire, but then it gets hijacked into something else. Much in the way like Jean Butler, it was her passing that became the catalyst for like the bloodshed afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like there's a change that comes after the initial um the initial system runs out of purpose. I think it was one of the epigraphs recently too of like uh in the beginning a government has purpose. Right, right, right. And then it's gone, you know, after 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 the revolution's over. I'm sorry, you lose purpose. Now, let's go into some specific mic. Sure. The conquest of the system of Malathon, controlled by the great house of the McNaughts. Okay. Uh, they're the McHaves and the McHavnots, Mike. <laughs> uh, was the first inkling the universe had that the rules of empire had changed. They don't exist anymore, do they? Yeah, do you think this is kind of close to the McNellies? Is that where we're going with <gasps> McEns? Oh. Um, uh, but we got the McNaughts. I love it. So the McNaughts, they were one of the most powerful of the old great houses. And the family had a tradition of cautious, shrewd leadership along with a reputation as a dangerous enemy. The McNaught forces were sizable and well-trained in Landsraad terms. Uh, They were supported by three lesser houses from the neighboring system of Kalaka. Oh, okay. That sounds like a pretty powerful house, right? Three miners, all stocked up. You got good control. You're considered a uh, a formidable enemy by other houses. All right. What happened? Well, Mike... The stories spread by the few hundred survivors of the battles for Malathon and Kalaka shocked all who heard them. 
the forces of the McNaughts and their allies had been obliterated. Oh. What made the news border on the incredible was that this had been accomplished with a force of 10 Fremen legions, some 300,000 men. The entire armed might of two systems had been wiped (laughs) out by a force less than one-tenth its size. Yeah. Yeah. Had the remaining great houses but known it, there was more to fear. These victories had been accomplished without the Fedaikin. Oh, no. They didn't even. These are just regular everyday Fremen. Pan engraving, Mike. We said the city folk. Not even Fedaikin. Oh, God. Our Sonicar aren't even here yet. What's the Landsrad's, like, encounter with their first Fedaikin like? Well, uh, at this early stage, the Fedaikin were unknown, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, And the Fremen poorly understood. Rebellion continued, and the Fremen victory spread across the galaxy. As the natives of Arrakis moved from planet to planet and system to system, they encountered many faiths not their own, some involving tenets or rituals as loathsome to them as the discoveries on Rachis had been to the Comans. Oh. Bringing it back. As time, worlds, and lives of millions and then billions passed, the religious motivations of the Fremen came to play an ever greater part in their battles. So it is sort of like the same spiral that the original Jihad had. Yeah, it's like unmistakable. Yeah. Uh, And then just even more permanent because you indoctrinate these people as you go. Right. Where like, I mean, like if you don't, you die. Yeah. And we, which I mean, actually I got to say that it was the exact same thing that happened. We just don't take them with us uh, yeah. in the Butlerian one. They all stayed on the planet, but yeah. like, yeah, they, all, they couldn't go anywhere. They all destroyed all their <laughs> yeah. shit out of fear too. Yeah, just yeah. like these people are. Uh, a particular target of this religious calling came to be the faith dominated by the Bene Gesserit. Oh, this is cool. The order which had trained and attempted to dominate Paul's mother. The order which had striven so long to produce and use the Kwisatch Haderach that Paul was. That order was of special concern to him. Their power and their plans conflicted with his. Oh, yeah. So this is like an interesting thing to be like, Paul targeted the Bene Gesserit. Yeah, I bet he did. Yeah. We never got that feeling, though, in any of the other um, explanations or recountings of this. Not that he, like, specifically let, I'm going to deal with them. Just, like, he knew he couldn't trust them and that he hated them. Yeah, but I just love this extra detail of him going out of his way to, like, curtail all the work they've been doing for generations. Like, I'm just going to destroy that, destroy that. Like, what do do you you have left to show for yourself? Were you using this gene line? Oh, was that your religion? Oh, 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 my God. Oh, it's all gone. Oh, shucks. Have some spice. Uh, now, the Fremen uh, attitude towards the Bene Gesserit had always been at, at best ambivalent and usually fearful and antagonistic. But with the coming of Paul Moadib, their ambivalence was over. They could produce their own reverend mothers as they had for thousands of years. Jessica was all the Bene Gesserit they would ever need as she had fulfilled the prophecies. Oh. So that's cool in so highlighting. Like, hey, we've already done what we needed to do. Now we just need to wrangle you back in. Well, I mean, yeah, I was thinking like that prophecy, that was the only thing the Ben, that was the only hold the Bene Gesserit had on them. Sure. And why they were ambivalent. Mm-hmm. They got with the, every myth they had. Like, oh, that was the only myth we have concerned the Bene Gesserit. Don't need you ladies anymore. Yeah. Stog on. Like, you you set that up yourself. You should have put two myths in there. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> your fault. 
these attitudes uh, on the part of Paul and the Fremen, hardly such as to incline them toward the order, were reinforced by the Bene Gesserit's support of the forced allies against the Fremen. So Bene Gesserit, they can read the tea leaves. Sure, yeah. Literally. Uh, They're going to back the people fighting Paul. Mm -hmm. The Bene Gesserit were faced with the prospect of their plans uh, of the past uncounted centuries, culminating in a person who was beyond their control, and it was more than they could bear. Yeah. I mean, like, th- that's what you asked for. You want to quiz that Chadrach? You got to quiz that Chadrach. And now he has you in a jail cell. Because uh-huh. the they there is definitely th- guys selling. I think it was their folly all along. I think that they could have controlled him in any facet. Because it's just such an unknown. No, I, again, but it was Jessica that threw it off. Like, they weren't ready to control this one because right. he wasn't supposed to be here. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they, it's funny how it all gets undone and that last, you tripped right before. But yeah, maybe it's faded. It was never going to be possible. Sure. Uh, rather than have the Kwisatch Haderach live independently on them, they hope to kill him and produce another. With the help of the Bene Gesserit, the forces of the Landsrad houses that had not yet been defeated met the Fremen legions in the system of Molitor. So, just clear that all up. The people who haven't died yet, they are getting back and going out there. I don't think anyone's excited for this battle. No. I'm going in. That sounds like a ragtag force. What to was get this out. battle called? This one is in Molitor. So this is different from the previous one we okay. were talking about on, um, let me uh, just scroll up to get you the name of that world. Malathon and Kalika. Okay. Now we're on Molitor. Molitor, gotcha. Okay. The presence of the Sadakar on the side of the Landsrad made the battles a struggle. So, yeah, let that sink in. The Sadakar are fighting with the Landsrad now, Mike. They're allies. And that's the only way they're surviving. This is very reminiscent of that one time the Sadakar or the Landsrad attacks the Sadakar, and they could hold out for like a day with all their combined forces. They couldn't do much. Now, that's got to be awkward for some people. Have this like gorilla next to you. <laughs> like, hey. And then the Fadaikin showed up. Oh, no. And this made the battle a victory for the Fremen. I bet. Just done. Sadakar wiped out. Landred wiped out. Uh, this there was Terminators on the field, pretty much. Yeah. Sand Terminator. Yeah. Oh, remember when they were jumping off the worms? Yeah. Oh, my God. Terrifying forces. I do wonder how they. I don't know who fight on water worlds per se, but uh, I mean, in shock and awe, I guess, according to uh, Farouk, <laughs> yeah, right. But I mean, they still do it. So, this fighting on Molotar, this was the greatest campaign in the jihad, but not the last. Many systems remained unpacified, and even more remained outside the power of the burgeoning religion of the Moadib, the Kizara Tafweed. This uh, Fremen priesthood regarded the jihad as a means of spreading their religion so that what had begun as a response to rebellion had become a vehicle of conversion. Ooh. That's it. Ah, slippery slope. That's how it happened. One may be able to tell when rebellion ends, but who can say when all believe? Is it, uh, it is worth noting that most of the 40 faiths eradicated by the jihad perished after the campaign in the system of Molotar. The individual legions of Fremen moving independently throughout the galaxy uh, carried on the work of the jihad long after Paul Moadib had returned to Arrakis. So, oh, dang. 
Again, that's again the so, I think mirroring the exchange of leadership in the jihad. Yeah, right? like he bows out a little bit. Like, yeah, you can't really stop them because it's just religious fervor at that point. And it was probably once he saw like, oh, that's law. Like, I can't undo this either. Yeah. Like, all oh, it's all too ingrained. The roots are too deep right now. This is gonna go. Forty religions just annihilated, completely annihilated. We pull all their, you know, their people are subjugated. They become part of his religion now. Ooh. And so many of them do sign up, like, right there and then. And they roll out, and they go on to the next world. Oh, my and God. It's like, it's ever self, uh, it's a self-perpetuating machine, too, at that point. Does yeah. Judaism survive? Yeah, uh, in secret. That's, like, the one that, like, keeps going, no matter there's, what. There's a secret, you know where one of the planets they're on? Uh, no. Gaty Prime. Oh! That is where we'll we will eventually run into a rabbi on Gaty Prime. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah, they are. I and like I don't remember if Frank does like patch it all the way back through Paul's Imperium, but I, I think since it is like a unbroken religion, it has to go all the way back to Terra. And sure. that they just ever since I mean, and that one is definitely not to the Holocaust. They were just like, we always get persecuted. Shit always sucks for us. We keep it close to the chest. Sometimes there's always a little rabbi you can find somewhere. <laughs> they got good times. But I will say, I bet the Fremen think they got rid of Judaism. Probably. They're like, ah, everyone. And then there's one guy like, not so fast. <laughs> Gives him a little wink. <laughs> Puts his still suit over his yarmulke and then goes back out. <laughs> You'll never know, Mike. It's true. Said it. It's true. Now, by the time the last of the Fremen forces had returned to Arrakis, the war's over and the new Imperium begun, there was not a force left in the universe which could stand against the Emperor's might. The tensions and balances which characterized the relationship between House Carino and the forces of the Landsrad were gone, never to return. In their place had arisen the sole force of the Emperor Paul Moadib, now the Mahdi for the human race, not just for the Fremen. Where there had been many religions, now there was one. Where there had been many armies, now only one mattered. Where there had been a balance of powers between several social and political and economic institutions, now there was unity. The Bene Gesserit survived as an order, but not as a power. The Spacing Guild survived, but only as a pawn of the Emperor. The Landsrad was a shell, and Chome was dominated by the new Emperor to an extent that House Carino had never considered. What had been the intricate, subtle interplay of forces and exquisite balance that had given the old Imperium life and meaning was gone. I didn't really consider the idea that, like, it, it's not just the change in leadership, like, new emperor. I know there's a jihad that, like, spread the Fremen and its religion. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that, like, the entire structure of that old Imperium is just dead. And it's, I, I I mean, we didn't have that conversation in the beginning. I didn't even really catch it either of like, it does make sense with how much um, emphasis we put on how unstable that tripod was to begin with. Right. Well, what happens when you kick a leg out? Because sure. we just did that. Of like, yeah, all these pieces crumble down. But overall, I, just, I absolutely love that because those were just questions I had. Yeah. Hey, that's what we're here for. Yeah. I, you mm. know what, Derek? I know someone's got a question for you. Oh, because Stilgar's still got synonyms, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> no, that's not at all it. Shit, what game are we playing? It's going to be Edric's Etymology on Onomatology. Each week, I pick a name from the Duniverse to dive into its meaning and origins. Derek, I'm going to give you the meaning of the name and see if you can guess who it is. 
Right, well, I'll delete these Stilgar synonyms. But, uh, <laughs> Do you have some? No, I really don't. <laughs> I was going to say, like, oh, no. <laughs> All right, Edric. I usually get a clue. Tell me what we got. I had a couple different variations for this, but only one I thought actually had a meaning. Okay. So we're going to go with uh, the first one being mountain. All right. That's one meaning. And that's from uh, Chinese origin. And then the other is the name of a rune. For the letter I, that would be, since it's a rune, it's going to be Germanic origin. Okay. I mean, instantly. You, Old I, Germanic. I think it's just because you said Chinese. It must be like, I went Yui. Like, Yui. Yeah. I'm like, would that be, that could be a Chinese word for mountain. I can, that kind of sounds like it. I'm really unfamiliar with the language, obviously. Then hit me back with Germanic. It's uh, technically Proto-Germanic. To me, the distinction is <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I really do. Maybe this helps Derek in some way. Oh, I'm trying my best, buddy. My proto-Germanic tops. Uh, but no, like, Yui, totally you is in like our, Alex- I, I think that's in our uh, vocabulary, vernacular. Lock me in with Yui. I don't think I have another one oh. I can rely on to get me to like mountain in any way. Uh I think even Spanish is like montaña and like, I think it would all base into that. I don't know another like root word for mountain really. It doesn't start with like an M. So right. I'm, I don't lean to that. It was like uh, our only Asian character that's kind of recognized. I right? guess. Yeah. Yeah. All Dr. right. Dr. Yui, Yui, Yui. A million deaths were not enough for Dr. Yui. Let Derek fail up. It means Yui. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So Yui's mountain. Um, Yui. And I did some research here. Mm. Oh, you were going to say hey, something? Well, I was just trying to think of, is there a significance? We we never did a dive of that name, really. Didn't, no, I didn't, didn't even think of, like, kind of looking up the meaning of that deal, of calling Yui the mountain. Yeah? What is that significance in Dune? Um, I don't know. Well, why don't you go through the whole name? I'm gonna. Th- this is going to be on my mind I while we're rummaging through. I think it refers to through. maybe some origin behind the name itself. Okay. And so I have two things here. I looked up... Uh, Yui, the surname, like where the name originates from. And I went into some cool mythology as well. Oh, okay. And then I also went with uh, Yui described as like a tree. Oh, falling. I was just going to go with into the that. Yu as well. Yes. Is there any like tree kind of yeah. uh, build? It's so good. Yeah. So I'll go into both of those. So and that's like Y E W? Uh, y E W. Yeah. Yeah. Yu tree. Yeah. And that's the one that has the Germanic, uh, proto Germanic origins. Oh, all right. Because it would. Uh, Oh, God, I can't remember the exact word. It's Yui is based off of it, but it actually means like the uh, the rune for the letter I. Oh, okay. So uh, first off, we're going to start in China. Yui were the aboriginal people of South China who in the 5th and 4th century BCE formed a powerful kingdom in present day. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Zhejiang and Fujian provinces. I'm going to butcher a lot of Chinese names here. I'm going to try my best, though. Just need an approximation. You just need to be close. Now, of this kingdom, the kings of Yui claimed descendancy from the mythological emperor, Yu the Great. Okay. Yeah, and that's why they get their name, the Yui. Yeah. Is it spelt the same way? It is. Oh, I guess they would be. Y-U-E, but depending on which province, it adds an H as well. Okay. And I, I realized, too, like translating it to English characters is probably useless for, like, an ancient text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. the Romanized version of it has an H at the end. Okay. So they saw themselves descended from the mythological emperor Yu the Great and mm. saw themselves as a branch of his dynasty, the Jia dynasty. And that ended up being his surname, uh, Yu Jia, or I think, what would that be, Jia Yu? Oh, I, mean, I something, think... Something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, I think you do put the last name first. That's what I thought. Yeah. Now, Yu the Great 
was in Chinese mythology the forefather of the Zha dynasty and a demigod who tamed the floods of China. Okay. You, he, you say he tamed them? Tamed them. Yeah, yeah, cool. Now, Yu is mentioned in many ancient books of the Western Zhao period. According to the classical poetry collection of Chu Chi, uh, Gun, who was Yu's father, was the first to attempt to tame the dangerous floods that inundated China. Gun, however, failed and was killed by the fire god Zhu Fu. Three years after his death, a dragon was born out of his corpse and ascended to the heaven. This was none other than Yu, whose character, I should write out, uh, mention, is written out as worm or dragon. Oh, okay. So he does he come back from heaven? Yeah, no. Once he goes into heaven, that's when he comes down and he tames the floods. Uh, and there's, right. a, there's a whole other story that goes with that, but like this was the big part I wanted to get to. Okay, okay. And what I thought was cool about that is it reminds me of like Paul a little bit. In bringing the waters to Dune kind of deal, the lady promised, or? Well, bringing, like, yeah, um, or taming the floods. I don't know if you want to call it, uh, like, water in that sense. Maybe, like, the Harkonnens or the Imperium, however you want to, like, put a parallel to that. But the idea that his father came here, he died. Three years later, uh, from his death, his son came and ascended into heaven. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got and then you. also assigning, like, a... Uh, a divinity to the worm character, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. Oh, Just like something yeah. that like maybe, you know, maybe Frank never saw that, but I think it's worth at least looking at. There's like enough little similarities there to get your like, yeah, yeah it's something on the back of your neck. And be like, something's matching up here. Yeah, just a little yeah. bit of something. I like it. Now, something that's kind of cool, uh, the name Vietnam actually means south of the Yui. Now, wait, where was that river that we ended up doing in that gurney dive that became like Caladan? Oh, uh, in the uh, Gazetteer? Yeah. That was oh, in sorry. Burma. In Burma? So, like, still, like, we're all in the Eastern Bloc here. This is very interesting that these, uh... I mean, Burma's going to be a little more removed. I'll give yeah, you. Burma's going to be a but, like, more removed. It's all, like, folklore stories that he digs into. And then I love that the all of these seem to draw such direct parallels to Dune in ways. Yeah. Like, like you just said the three years, the father-son relationship. I mean, they're simple motifs in a way, but it's, it's just kind of uncanny. It's so on point. It's like, yeah. you got to at least have heard this somewhere. Yeah, hey, I mean, a hero with a thousand faces, Mike. You've yeah. told the same story, story a thousand times. Exactly. True. But uh, I just thought that it was so worth looking into. Yeah, I really like it. Um, the name Vietnam actually means south of the Yui. Did you know that? I did not. Because it's lo- it is located just sort of south there. And some Chinese scholars consider Vietnam- the Vietnamese to be descendants of the Yui themselves. <gasps> Those poor bastards. Uh, they, probably, oh no. they probably hate Frank. Oh I'm no! Like, what have you done to our name? <laughs> Relatively little is known about the origins of the Vietnamese, though. And that's just scholars sort of hearsaying and guessing. Uh, they first appeared in history as the so-called uh, Lac people who lived in the Red River Delta region and what is now northern Vietnam. Some scholars have suggested that they were closely related to other peoples known as the Viet, which means the Yui, Mm -hmm. and who inhabited the coastal region of East Asia from the Yangtze River to the Red River Delta during the first millennia BCE. Just kind of cool. Others, though, question this view, voting that modern-day Vietnamese share many cultural and linguistic traits with other non-Chinese peoples living in the neighboring areas of Southeast Asia. And so that name might just be born of, like... uh, folklore and mythology and not actually be like oh they did come from this area okay so, so it's like, the name vietnam may not actually be attached to the, the uh, ancestral home and like migration of the vietnamese people 
Right, right. But like it comes from that story being ascribed to a different people, essentially. Sure, yeah. Like they've just gotten disconnected maybe exactly. through time. That's kind of neat. I'm just like some people ended up being called Yui. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, yeah, just a little weird, but kind of funny. Um, that's all I have on the Chinese origin of it. Now, okay. The Where tree we itself. next. Oh, the yes. U. The U tree. Because that's what I thought about. No, when we were... yeah, yeah, you got to. He, why did he go out of his way to call this man a tree? I know. Uh, there's a couple of reasons. Is it a hardwood tree? It is a softwood porous tree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, actually, it is a hardwood uh, porous tree. Okay. Now, now you have me second guessing here. So just did a quick Google search here because, like, I got confused because I remember it was porous, but, like, it's a really durable, too, because they make a lot of durable structures from it. Uh-huh. So it is technically a softwood, but it's much denser than other softwoods. So it is harder than you would um, and heavier than you would traditionally imagine. So it's an exception. It's an Chinese tree. Excellent. <laughs> exactly. That's why it made the cut. So the word you, as it was originally used, seems to refer to the color brown. Oh, is there a significance to that? Um, the tree itself has a lot, like when you just take the wood itself, it has more of a yellowish kind of tinge to it. And mm-hmm. there's a reason for that. It's a chemical in it called, uh, ooh, I've got it here. Uh, oh, that, that, you. <laughs> you. It's got a chemical called a taxine alkaloid. Ooh, okay. And that's what sort of gives it that yellowish hue. The U is known to Theophrastus, who is a Greek philosopher. Okay. Uh, widely known and considered to be one of the fathers of botany it, way now. back when. I mean, yeah, that's when they just started. So I guess it would be. They noted that uh, way back when in their studies, it's preference for mountain coolness and shade. It's evergreen character and it's low growth. I like it. That's yeah. right. Yeah, very easy. Kind of cool. Quaint little uh, field guide to exactly. trees. Exactly. Uh, interesting aspect of the U that I thought related great to our character, the entire U bush, except for the aril, the red flesh of the berry covering the seeds it produces, is extremely poisonous. Okay. It's toxic it's... due to a group of chemicals called taxine alkaloids. And, and that's what makes the tree yellow, ultimately. Exactly. Yeah. If any leaves or seeds of the plant are ingested, urgent medical advice is recommended, as well as an observation for at least six hours after the point of ingestion. Damn. The most cardiotoxic taxine happens to be the most common alkaloid in the U. A cardiotoxic taxine? Yes. All right. So I know I know it's heart. Yeah. Being yeah. cardio. What's it? I don't know what a taxine is. This is the poison that's it's in just, it? It's just, yeah, it's just a, a, an alkaloid chemical. Okay. So basically, if this gets into your blood, it starts fucking with your heart. Ooh. And it, to the point where, like, uh, if you get uh, poisoned with this, mm-hmm. it's there's like no real recovering because they can like try and address the symptoms, but ultimately your heart just freaks out with like how alkaloid your blood started to become. Okay. So, I mean, that is a very interesting fact for the tree. I don't yeah. see a Yui parallel really. No, no. Okay. U poisonings are relatively common in both domestic and wild animals who consume the plant accidentally resulting in countless fatalities in livestock in quotes. The taxine alkaloids are absorbed quickly from the intestine and in high enough quantities can cause death due to cardiac arrest or respiratory failure. Taxines are also absorbed efficiently via the skin and use should thus be handled with care and preferably with gloves. I was thinking with the poison, the idea that like can accidentally kill livestock. Yeah. I was thinking that against Piter. Are you thinking that's what was in the tooth? Yeah. Well, I mean, not exactly in the tooth, but the idea that like Yui was the reason the tooth was poisonous. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. sort of attached. Like seeing that being the poison bit, you're kind of like uh, right. attributing to him, and that he was like 
despite being a tool to be used by the Baron, he was still poisonous to the Baron. Mm-hmm. He was still poisonous to Leto in a way. Oh, everyone that everyone that touched him, and everyone around. Wife. Yeah, his position as the soup doctor is why she was chosen for her fate. Yeah, yeah. God damn you! Everyone around him dies. You know what? Maybe a million deaths <laughs> weren't enough for you. <laughs> he just needed more. Uh, the lethal dose for an adult is reported to be fifty grams of you needles. Oh, Jesus, that sounds terrible. Yeah. I know. It, I know it's like plant needles though. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. nearly as yeah. menacing as what I imagine. Pretty bad. But the idea of like if you touch this tree. Shit's going to suck. Yeah. It's going to be absolutely horrible. Patients who ingest a lethal dose frequently die due to cardiogenic shock in spite of resuscitation efforts. And there are currently no known antidotes for you poisoning. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, Drugs can be used to treat the symptoms, however, and it's just brutal. A taxine remains in the plant all year with maximal concentrations appearing during the winter. And dried yew plant material retains its toxicity for several months. And actually increases in toxicity as well as the water is removed from the plant. <laughs> it concentrates. <laughs> yeah. it, what, a, what a terrible tree. It really is. Fallen leaves should therefore be considered extremely toxic. <laughs> <laughs> and poison usually occurs when leaves of the yew tree are eaten by creatures. And at least one case, one victim that inhaled sawdust from a yew tree died. What? Yeah. I mean, I get it. You made sawdust. Yeah. Sure. But here's the thing. It was such an important tree for people, especially in the medieval era, because of how sturdy it was. It made for exceptional longbows. Oh, oh, my God. The flexibility, the density, the hardness. Okay. But a U-bow, is that not a thing? It is, yeah. But because of the nature of the U, if you chop down a tree to make a bow, you couldn't use it for like a year. To actually make it. Because you need to really? wait for the toxicity to go away. And they knew that? I think they learned when people started dying. Trial working and with error? It. Yeah. We, three months. Try that bow out. <laughs> so like, it just... Still it, wait a day. But incredible. And that's why it was so highly, uh, highly sought after and prized and valuable. Yeah. Um, and it got to a point even when I think... Uh, I don't have the exact uh, names here, but... Uh, some royalty had to put eggs out to stop people from harvesting yew trees because they were literally just destroying all of them. But <laughs> save the yew trees. I know. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a yew tree, but it's like kind of, it almost looks like a uh, a culmination of a bunch of vines sort of just I, I brought up some images. If you, if you search like a yew tree, uh, all the images, they make me think, which? Yeah, kind of. This is the tree that would be outside got, of a witch, like a coven ton of uh mythological associations as well including the uh the world tree yggdrasil do you know one of the names of this tree i have a few facts pulled up here hmm. tree of death yeah absolutely and that pontius Pilate was born under this tree yeah that's so fucked love it but yeah it looks like uh just it's it gnarly comes to mind apparently, like they go everywhere apparently because of the nature of how it grows trying to get any real usable and workable material from like the truck. Like if you're trying to hew a board yeah. or something. It's really difficult and you actually waste a lot of the wood in the process. So that wouldn't actually produce as much as you think. I mean, well, no, cause nothing on it is straight, right? Like for whatever you were going to try to get out of this, I, you couldn't hew a board from this tree. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. 
Yeah, that's that is that was a really good turn. I didn't expect that yeah. to be so interesting. Do you have anything more on that? Turn? No, that's all I got on Yui. I just thought that those were such interesting little tidbits and like the poison, I gotta follow up on that. Mm-hmm. Especially with the tree motifs. And then uh just the one thing about like the uh the father dying and the son ascending from his corpse. Now, I can give you some one other bit for the yew tree that can <gasps> tie into that father dying, the son going. Give it to me. Drooping branches of an old yew tree can root and form new trunks where they touch the ground. Oh, that's good. You really like you couldn't in a way that tree could be like moving over oh, sort of the, like the uh the walking onion I told you about. Yeah, I'm kind of yeah. if it keeps arching over and like just dying off and growing and like this weird that's really cool. Uh, I was just trying to find out, like, if there could be, like, a yew forest somewhere. Because, like, as you said, the leaves are poisonous. I obviously, we're in the northeast. We get really awesome falls where all the leaves come down. That's legit a forest can you, of death. Can you imagine that being, like, that whole season be like, this is, like, the death time. We yeah. have to duck and dodge as leaves fall from the trees. Like, it would be fun. But <laughs> well, like, a single leaf isn't going to kill you. But, like, if, if it fucks up your day, though, you would yeah. treat it like, like <laughs> That's true. If, if a single leaf gave me, like, a headache for an hour, the lengths I would go to to avoid that would be r- ridiculous. That's true. That's true. Oh, the yew tree. An enemy <laughs> I never knew I had. All right. Do we have any distrance today? Uh, I got nothing. Bruno told me he was not going to come in today. All right. Well, as you notice, I've had a bat sitting next to me this whole time. Oh, oh you know what? We got some new stuff. I didn't even see him. Oh. Got, got the screen right in my way. Okay. Sorry. I didn't say anything about Bruno, did I? No. 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 <laughs> oh. <laughs> I would have been like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> read the room, read the room. <laughs> That's a Sardaukar bat right there. Yeah, it really is. What do, you, uh, what do you got for a message in there? So coming in on Twitter, James Conrad's just sort of uh, chiming in. <laughs> oh, God. 1066, not 1059. What are you doing? Basic history here. I th- I can only assume he's referring to my little deep dive on the Gurney name, I, talking about the Norman Conquest. And... I didn't know Bruno could carry shade. Uh, <laughs> how do you pack that in there? Well, honestly, it's not basic history for me. This I never learned this oh. in any school. I mean, I I'm actually gonna say yeah, no, it is basic. I. One thing in history, we literally had a list of dates with the history teacher saying, like, look, I don't care about any dates, but you're going to learn these 10, and you need to know what they have to. And one of them was 1066 Norman Conquest, and clearly I forgot and failed. Like, <laughs> this is fundamental. No, this is one of This the- is not actually something I ever learned in school. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, like, out of my, my American history teacher went out of the way to be like, this is one of the 10 dates you need to know. It was like this when the Magna Carta was signed and a few other bullshit I just think that's I unbelievable, though. It's just like, who was dictating what we are learning? Oh, my God. like, I'm upset now. This is Oh, because you got... you. you you I got shafted. No you, one told me. You didn't even get a chance to forget. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, Mike, the only time England has ever been successfully, or rather the last time England was successfully invaded was 1066. That's a fucking baller record. That, that's pretty good. Yeah. Got to give it to him there. But, uh, I mean, on the other side, though, mm-hmm. great thing we have this podcast because now it's giving me the excuse to learn these things. And uh, I mean... If my history can't be true in Dune, there's got to be a way I can invalidate <laughs> real history. <laughs> I'm going to work at this. Uh, I'm coming after all you. <laughs> Thank you, James. We appreciate the input. Yeah, like we always good. say, if we're wrong on something, call us out. That's great. 
We'd rather be corrected and learn something new than just assume that we're going to be preaching dumb, dumb. the risk. Yeah, we don't want to be Irulans. We don't want to be, be an Irulan. Yeah. No, no. I, dude, we've learned so much weird stuff through going through this. <laughs> so already today, I'm stoked on the Ubo aspect. Yeah. But do you have any more in there, No, Bruno? I think that's all I got. I'm, there might be something hanging around here, but I can't find it. All right. Well, I think that about does it for this week, Mike. Ooh. Does anyone have a question for us? Do you guys uh, perhaps know a wine we could afford? Let us know. We're at Spice World Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And then you can always send us a distrans via SpiceWorldPod at gmail.com. And, of course, there's our website at SpiceWorldPod.com. And if you're looking for a way to support the show, come join us over at our little sketch on Patreon.com slash SpiceWorldPod. It's where you can find our exclusive Between Two Dunes episodes, like Ladies of House Carino. Or, Mike, the Ampoleros. Well, no, Ampheleros. <gasps> I'm can, actually going to release it to the public here you soon. You can find it anywhere. Um, And, oh, man, the last one we did, mm-hmm. the Muad'Dib Folklore, we did it in the vein of, like, an audio play, mm-hmm. and it came out so well. I was so happy about it. That was, yeah, that was an amazing time. If anything, if you just want to sign up for one month to check that out, I highly recommend it because I absolutely had a blast. That's the one. How Muad'Dib got his name. Mm-hmm. An oral folktale. It was really good. But hey, enough of plugging our okay, okay. Patreon. Put this, put the I got to know what's happening next week. Oh, Mike, we got to come back for another chapter. We got to do it. So I got some people talking. Where do, where do you think we're going? Ooh. What, is, what does Mike want to see happen in Dune Messiah? I want to see more Sightail. That's He's fair. He's just going to be hanging fair. out in the background. It's like you're not actually doing anything. I know. Isn't that the worst? Just, you know what you're seeing him do? And this is why I kind of uh, recommended in our Audible is The Count of Monte Cristo. The best part about that book is there are several chapters where, like, it's just about a different character. Mm-hmm. And you'll do their whole story arc. And then, like... Three quarters of the way in, this charming count shows up. And you never say who it is, but you know that's the Count of Monte Cristo. Right, right, right. And it's him. So you're seeing what he's doing. Well, he's setting up his revenge. Gotcha. Every time he's moving right around the people he wants. And so, I'm like, that's kind of what Sidetail's doing. I'm like, he's just showing up places, doing things. Dropping a couple words here and there, and learning like, some information. It's also nonchalant, but it's like, it's going to come together in a bigger picture. All right. All right. So you want Sidetail. Show me Sidetail on that board. Give him Sightail. Isn't that stability? People want order. This kind or some other. That sounds like hate. <laughs> I was going to say, it's Duncan. But yeah, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> they sit in the prison of their hungers and see that war has become the sport of the rich. That's a dangerous form of sophistication. It's disorderly. I will suggest to my brother that you are much too dangerous and must be destroyed. Oh my God. She said, turning to face him. A solution I've already suggested, he said. Oh, Aaliyah and hate having a, little, a conversation. Aaliyah and hate having a convo. And touching on this tension point of like, Duncan knows he needs to die. Paul knows he needs to die. You can't call die. him Duncan. He's not Duncan. Oh, he flies like Duncan. He looks like Duncan. <laughs> he will eventually be infinite Duncan in the future. Hate. You have to call him by his the name. The only one we give a we different name. We had the chance to call him Duncan. He said no. We're going with hate. God, I hate you. Yep. Oh, I did it. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to get both of them together. Uh, yeah, talking about this thing. And finally, it's Aaliyah. Doing what Paul wants, she will suss out his secrets, yeah. right? She's going to draw them all out in the open. Mm-hmm. Let's see how successful she is next week. Until then, the, the spice, spice must flow.
you're going to get invited to a room. And now I know you've gotten to invited to a few rooms at this point. Sure. You're going to show up and there's going to be some people there, some friends, and maybe one friend that like a little, little too bit of a yes man kind of deal. <laughs> and every time you ask him like, Hey, uh, it's audible going to charge me with like in 30 days comes. Yeah. 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 And like, okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I can't actually land this one. Mike, I, I can't, I got a board. I got, uh-huh. no, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> I didn't have it. Do <laughs> you want to start over? Oh, I can try. Sure. It's just like it, you started to flounder a little bit. I'm just like, okay, where is he going? I was sinking. Thing? I was sinking. <laughs> sure.